Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. And I think it's fascinating, you said yeah. building trust with the audience is what makes them wanna laugh. So. How do you build that trust with them? Is it being funny as fast as possible? Is it being vulnerable and authentic? Like what builds that trust? Dude, it's the mo it's it's so hard. Okay. <laughs> and it's so easy at the same time. Um it's 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 hard, it's simple and it's complicated. It's hard, it's easy. It's it's my point is it's complex. It's so fucking complex because you gotta it's important because in that first fucking I don't know, how long does it take you to say hello? A, a second? You've gotta read the goddamn room. You've gotta see where you gotta go. Sometimes you gotta come out hot and just like bah, like that. You gotta do that. <laughs> you gotta smack them, you gotta smack them off their stool. <laughs> What's up, Hot Breath of Verse? We are back. This is the Hot Breath Podcast, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and I'm feeling good, y'all. I hope you're staying safe and smart and productive out there in these current times. It's so great to connect with you on here every single week, all in the name of comedy. I just got off a Skype Q&A with Jeremiah Watkins. So of those of you that don't know, today's episode is an example of what's going on over in our private Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go into the show notes or get on Facebook right now. You're most likely on your mobile phone anyway. Pull up the Facebook app, search Hot Breath Comedy Network, and we have an entirely new channel going on over there with a bunch of interactive content and discussions that all the listeners are doing. People from around the world are in there sharing and discussing different comedy tips and tricks. And we're doing weekly live Q&As in there with some of my favorite comedians. Sean Patton is one of the first ones. Today's episode we're going to release today. Finally, he's been in high demand. I actually... We did this one about two weeks ago. I went ahead and released it in our Patreon. So if you'd like to get these episodes early, go over to that Patreon. You'll get all the content early. And also, Mark Norman has done a Q&A. Jeremiah Watkins just did one. Um, I mean, we have some coming up this week. We have Mike Vecchione. There's, every week, there's new... Q&A is going on. Dusty Slay was another one we just had on there. So go join the group, okay? Don't be alone out there. Get around other people any way we can. So we are going to social distance together in the Hot Breath Comedy Network. And Sean Patton was one of the first comics I reached out to to do a live Skype Q&A, which means that we broadcast live into that Facebook group and answer your questions directly. And Sean is by far one of the funniest people I've ever seen live. And this is a marathon, I will say. I thought about breaking it up into two parts because there's the first 34 minutes are us in the live group, but then the internet crashes, as fate would have it. So 
the call ends, but then I pick it back up over the phone. I put my phone on speakerphone and talk to Sean for like another 90 minutes. This is one of the most jam-packed comedy discussions I have ever heard. Not even exaggerating. Like This is that raw comedy talk that Hot Breath is all about. So buckle up, take notes. Long story short, if you find this helpful, Sean spent so much valuable time with us. Definitely reach out to Sean Patton and let him know how awesome this was. But about 34 minutes into it, you're going to hear the audio shift, and it's going to be him on speakerphone answering questions. I was still able to have the comments up in the Facebook group, so people were posting questions. So we just went through those questions that were posted before the internet crashed, and he does not disappoint. So let's get into this one. I don't want to take up too much more time on this episode because it's a doozy. I do have a special announcement at the end of this episode in the outro, so do hang out with me there for just an extra minute. It's going to be worth your time. You're going to want to hear this. So let's jump into it as there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath. Is that your face on your shirt? With Sean? It is. There's a logo underneath it, so Patton. I just put a sticker of my nah. face over it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's how we're, we're branding at every level. And sometimes I'll have my dog behind me, but today he's hanging out with my wife. So he couldn't make the Sean Patton Q&A. Do you, do, like, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great. Can you hear me? I can, but I'm jealous that you got a microphone and I don't. I should just set I should just set up like a dummy mic and be like 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 a late night set. Like <laughs> you know? Here we are. Hey, if you got one, uh, feel free to go get it. If you wanna feel <laughs> feel incorporated. Uh, every every comedian's got a microphone. <laughs> right? We- Is that I'm, I'm I'm boldly making that statement. I, that every comedian owns a microphone. I mean, that's that's how I started was speaking into an unplugged microphone in the mirror. I, dude, um, are we on this? Are we live yet? Uh, we are. We are in the group. I haven't introduced you yet, though. But they can they can hear us. Okay, so basically, I, when I first started, I I I, I bought a microphone, a cord, and a stand and set it up in my bedroom and that's how like the, for the first like couple of months that I was doing open mics, I, I would rehearse every bit in my room, not in front of a mirror, just staring at the wall, but just to like get the, get like microphone technique down. I don't know why I focus so hard on that, but just to get comfortable and into a mic talking and using a microphone and years, I mean like, like 10 years later, I was back home in new Orleans doing some shows and this young lady comes up to me with her with her husband. And I was like, "You maybe don't remember me." Um, I, I, her 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 name is Ashley. It's not her name, but I'm just I'm going to give her some anonymity. Mm-hmm. But she's like, "I'm my name's Ashley. I I grew up next door to you. I was like around your sister's age." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember you." She's like, uh, and we hung out. Her and her husband and I had drinks because she was my next door neighbor, and they came to a show. You know, over a decade later, it was great. And then they drunkenly told me how the night they like lost their virginity to one another, <laughs> uh, 
like afterwards they were just in her room because her parents were out of town they boned and then they and then they and then they they lay they look cigarette and they look and they see me in my bedroom <laughs> at my parents house, talking into a microphone and thought i was just the weirdest fucking dude because also at the time i was like 22 years old and i had moved back in with my parents so they thought i was a pure psychopath and then over a decade later it's like and we see this is why and i was like oh wow <laughs> So I'm forever linked to your, the loss of your virginities. Cool. So, so you're 22 years old. You move back home. Oh, buddy. Were they ever? They're like, finally, our firstborn son finally uh, needs us. Uh I'm not going to say resist. They, they they certainly just didn't encourage at first. And then when I, like after I was doing it for about a year, they asked to come see me and I was like, no. And then they got suspicious that I hadn't been doing it at all. And I had to like, yeah, I had to like show them like, like there was a, there was one show I did uh, every month in New Orleans that like posted the lineups and like the way back of the arts part of the newspaper. And I had to show them once that my name was actually in there. Like, see, I do the show. <laughs> but like they didn't, I didn't let my parents come see me live till I'd been doing it for like a few years. Wow. Yeah. How many years were you? Years. Yeah. You said you were speaking into that microphone for years. How, how long were you rehearsing like that? I mean, that was only a few months. Oh, that was like, okay. Eventually, I got comfortable being like, all right, I, 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 I get what this is like being behind a mic. I mean, I, I still remember that being the thing that jarred me the first time I ever did stand up was hearing my voice amplified. I just wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, it's bizarre. It was like, whoa, that's me? Yeah, so. And it's crazy because now I, I've seen you several times and like, I remember last time you were here at the punchline, maybe when we did our interview and like every show you did was different. Like you're something. It's just cool to hear that you're now like one of the most comfortable people I've ever seen on stage. But to hear even someone like you starting out, we're like in your room, like with an unplugged mic, just like what, what am I even doing right now? Like with my comedy, how do I do this? You know? Oh yeah, man. That's the fun. That's the fun part. I think you still. I still go through that. I still. You know what I mean. I still fucking. Uh, uh, I. You still. You still have those. I mean, like, dude. I was doing like a week and a half ago. I was in San Diego doing shows at the American Comedy Company. It was like the weekend before everything just clamped down, mm -hmm. right? And the the club was being like hyper like hyper hyper cautious. Um, is pre St. Patrick's Day, you know, like they're being, um, they wipe down the mic uh, mm -hmm. between every comic. Um, they, uh, and the way the, it's a San Diego, it's an American comedy company. The way the club is set up, the audience is like naturally, there's like a barrier between, there's like a table. So the audience is already, the stage is kind of deep already, but they didn't seat anyone in the first row. So you had a natural like 10 feet of space between you and the audience. What? And I remember doing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because they were just, it was like, you know, it was the 12th through the 14th uh -huh. of uh, March. They were like, well, uh, we know six, it was before anyone started locking cities down, mm -hmm. you know, it was still like, 
and uh, they and like it's a small room, so it, like California at that point had been like you can't have more than 250 people, and that room only seats like 200, and only like a hundred people were coming to the show, so it was like all right, we're good. But it was like I remember, you know, it was a week and a half ago. But then thinking like, shit, is this going to be the norm for live shows? And like, I miss performing live so much. But I do believe it will be when when we if and when we I think we'll come back and people are able to go out again. That will be a thing. Is like they're going to move everyone back and spread everyone out a little bit more um, until there's a vaccine. I really do believe that. Yeah, I think, this, I mean, well, one, it's only just beginning, and two, I feel like this is going yeah. to change fundamentally how we function as a society now. Oh, yeah, everybody's going to be a little, uh, it's going to be interesting. Everyone's going to be a little cleaner and a little less touchy and a little, you know, hugs are going to be like something you reserve for the, like, I, it's fucked up because this has also made me realize, like, how much of a hugger I naturally am. And like, not going to be until I get a fucking needle poked in my arm with the yep. telling me I'm vaccinated against the fucking the COVID, you know? Yeah, this man, this is a crazy time. And let me actually, as we're, we're getting momentum here, let me just welcome everyone to the Hot Breath podcast. This is the show where you learn comedy from the pros and our guest, we are doing a live Q&A in our secret Facebook group, the Hot Breath Comedy Network. If you're not a member yet. If you're listening to this, go to the show notes, click the link to join up. We've been doing Q&As with some of our favorite guests and favorite comedians, just letting you connect with them directly and get your questions answered. So our guest today is by far one of our most just educational guests. His episode back in Hot Breath episode number 148 had so much about not only on stage but also tips for off stage. And I am so thrilled that he was willing to take the time. Welcome to the Hot Breath of Earth, Sean Patton, everyone. Give it up for Sean Patton. Look at that. Mommy hands. Yeah. Everybody else got that? The dry, the dry ass hands from washing them too much? Huh? At least it's not the COVID hands, I would say. True. But true. We've, true. We've got free hands. <laughs> I don't have mummy hands. I don't know what that says about me, but I am being quarantined. I haven't left my house probably in like 10 days, I would say, or something like that, besides to walk my dog. Have you not gone outside? I, I'm going outside. Oh, yeah, outside. I'm going. My wife's taking me for a walk every day, so that's been nice of her. But yeah, you got it. You got it. Because I've been, I'm here in Brooklyn, and we've been, uh, my, my partner and I, my lady friend and I, we've been taking walks every day. And people here have taken it pretty seriously. You know, like everyone, you, you're, you, when you walk up on someone, you see there's just a natural, like, oh, I'm going to go this way. Right. You go that way. Right. And yeah, like, you know, fucking taking out, definitely taking it seriously, but you got to, you have to get out. You have to get out and stretch and for, get some vitamin D, you know? Yeah, that's what's been good and here in Atlanta is like I have a yard, we have a neighborhood, but I can't imagine like, yeah, all the comics in new york and you're all stacked on top of each other and it's i, I saw mark norman just posted he's like in the streets telling jokes to people oh, yeah, like that, a, that COVID video is great <laughs> the corona comedy video he just posted is yeah is yeah it's great check it out how has i mean it's also like what could please go ahead no I, 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 um, I was saying uh the every i'm getting a lot of texts from you know my family and people outside the city you know like oh my god new york's the epicenter and you're like yeah 
everyone calm down. That makes sense. You know, it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a city of 8.7 million people jammed on top of one another. It's the epicenter for everything else. You know, it's going to be the epicenter for this. Like it sucks, but it's the reality. Like at people, we live in close quarters here. We're constantly around people, the subway, everything. Of course it was going to be the epicenter once it broke out. And like, I feel like you just got to accept that. And like, you know, everyone I know who lives in the city, we're all being pretty fucking safe. You know what I mean? Like there's no social events to go to. No one's gathering. No one's congregating. You know, we're all looking out for one another, uh, which is the only thing you can do. You know, Um, I'm just bummed because I was I just got it like uh, like two weeks ago. I confirmed a booking to come back to Atlanta uh, uh, in May. Oh, yeah. And it's so barring. I mean, we haven't we haven't canceled it yet. It's like late May. But, um, you know, I have a suspicion we might have to cancel everything until June. I don't know yet. But, you know, so everything on your calendar. So so my calendar was cleared through April. Is yours? How how much work did you have canceled because of this? Oh, man, Uh, a lot. Uh, I think. I currently, I'm still, re- and we're still like in the rescheduling process. That's the other thing. Like mm. a lot of clubs, you know, I had a, every club I was doing in April. I had, uh, well, let's see. I had go, Ban- I'm supposed to be at go bananas in Cincinnati right now. Um, we already rescheduled that for September. Um, I had comedy works in Denver in April. I'm going to, I don't know when that's going to be rescheduled. I hope this year, mm. uh, a club in Connecticut, a new club called like the brouhaha. We were scheduling um, the a room in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the Tiger Room. We were scheduling that, like, and then May. Right now, all of the dates in May are still holding the date, but we're we're going to see. You know, we got to ride out April. I would love to live in a world where by the end of April the curve is flattened. It's proven that the heat kind of kills the virus a little bit, and we get a break where it's like, all right, you know, get out there for the next couple of months, few months. And live it up, but know that we might have to do this again come fall just to make sure we can keep a lid on top of it. Because I I got a lot of dates in May and June I want to keep. But, you know, we don't know. We don't know yet. Well, hopefully at the worst rescheduling. Yeah, and that's what's interesting is we're all all as comedians like in the same boat in terms of it seems like regardless of what level you are, if you're an open micer or – you're like a professional like you, everyone's on social media just trying to figure out how to make the most of this. I mean, what have you seen that, what have you been doing or what do you see that others are doing that may be working that other comics could learn from? I mean, just, you know, um, I feel like everyone's going live right now Mm -hmm. on Instagram, which, you know, Hey, fuck it, do it. You know, if you get up, excuse me. Um, a couple of days ago, uh, Normand and Sam Morrill went live on Instagram and just like ran jokes by each other. And that was kind of interesting to tune into um, just to hear those two because those guys are fucking machines. Yeah, you know? for sure. Uh, and then, excuse me, this is not this is this is peanuts. I ate a bunch of peanuts before <laughs> I started this. Hold on. <laughs> Not I was about to say we just got our first hot breath Ryan Corona case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Shane Torres and I are going online, are going live twice a week. Okay. So we did one on Tuesday. We're going to go live tomorrow. 
I'm going to make the announcement pretty soon. Uh, I feel like that helps. Get another comedian you vibe with well and just go live and, like, you know, run jokes by each other, riff. Don't pay attention to the count. Everyone's paying attention to how many people. You're not going to – unless you're fucking Mike Birbiglia mm-hmm. and he's he's going live with, like, Mulaney and Sarah Silverman every other day. You're not going to have thou- – unless you're Schultz or – you know, you're not going to have thousands of people in the room. Don't pay attention to that. Just, like, get back into that rhythm of, like, riffing and, like, saying the shit out loud and running bits and working that muscle right as much as you can. I mean, it's yes. hard to do. I've noticed because the motivation to write is knowing you're going to go on stage later on that night. And right now, no one's going on stage, and it's fucking insane. Like, I'll put it like this, man. I've been doing stand-up for almost 19 years this is the longest since I've started doing stand-up. This currently is the longest time I've gone without being on stage consecutively. Yeah. Like in nine days. What is it? No, Saturday. It's like fucking 11 days. What, 12 days already? It's crazy. 12 days. Yeah, yeah I like, would say, yeah. Since my honeymoon, this is probably the longest I've I've gone also. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What are we- it's fucking crazy. <laughs> like, you, you, like, I think and if you have a show, set up a virtual show on Zoom. Mm. Just do it. Just like get the shit out there, man. It's going to because the other thing this whole thing is going to do is it's going to shake. I don't and I don't like to think this way, but like you, you have to at, at a certain point. It's going to shake off a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of fat, if that's what I, meaning uh Anyone still interested in doing comedy in five in five weeks loves it. Right. Right. Yes. And then, you know, so like, don't don't listen to don't don't listen to fucking haters and people on Twitter talking shit and people who want to come on your show and tell you to fuck off and you know it's like this is what we got to do to maintain human con- connection right now. Mm-hmm. Just get on, do it. Just the internet is a guy is an ocean. Maybe maybe the next great virtual stand up platform is waiting to be invented and one one some fucking open micer also has a goddamn code writing uh job. Write code for a website that, you know, is like a virtual comedy club. You yeah, know, it's invent. gotta emerge, yeah. Cause you were already saying with before I think before we hopped on this live, you were already saying that you've seen people going live where they're just talking to the phone and then like yeah, virtual yeah. shows, but now they're already evolving until they had audience members. The one you did, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did one. I did one yesterday that had like 15 audience members. Oh my. So it was people who were also logged into the zoom. So you could hear them and they, they agreed beforehand. Like, Hey, we're going to be good comedy audience. Like if something's funny, we're going to laugh. If it's not funny. We're just not going to say anything. But we're not going to heckle. We're not going to talk shit. We're going to – because that would be fucking actually kind of hilarious if someone started heckling on Zoom. <laughs> and then and you just delete them from the, th- the thing if it gets too crazy. But B, also, then it's like a way more direct like, oh, wait, no, hold on. Just you and me, motherfucker, on the screen. Shut you down. But like just you know, find ways to do it. It's funny because like a week and a half ago, you saw a couple – big name comedians kind of, you know, giving a little bit of nudge at like, Oh look, now everybody, all these people who used to say going live on Instagram was lame are now going live on Instagram. And you're like, yeah. And it took a fucking pandemic to make that happen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now everyone, you know? everyone, all hours. Of going the day. Live is, 
difficult and weird. It's a weird thing, mm-hmm. but do it. It's all we got right now. It's all we got. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I like right doing now. it. Everyone is um. Everyone's doing it on Instagram right now, and I'm always I'm always looking when I see a trend. I'm always looking for like, okay, how what's the inverse of that, or what's a contradiction to that that could possibly be made to work? So everyone's going live on Instagram. So I was like, why not go live in like a Facebook group and make it super interactive and like I feel like this is a almost a better format for like a Q&A because it's just, I don't know. I just like the layout of this better, but I, maybe I should be going on Instagram and I'm, and I'm ruining opportunities, but I, I, I'm sticking to Facebook groups. I'm sticking to the hot breath Facebook group. We have a community here and I think it's valuable. Hey dude, you know, Coca-Cola doesn't exist without Pepsi. Hey, that makes sense. That's right. You know, <laughs> no one gives a shit about Jack Daniels if there's Jim Beam isn't out there in the world. All right. You know? We will be the you RC know, Cola need... to Coca-Cola. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I dropped that Coca-Cola reference for you Georgia motherfuckers. That's right. right? He's pandering, everyone. Atlanta He's folks. pandering. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so let's um uh, let's jump into this, man. First off, um Thomas here. Thomas Matelski says Sean is such a nice guy. Which you are, so I appreciate that, buddy. Yeah, you are. Your your episode got so many, so much feedback. Like people were blown away with your episode on here and how much like game you shared. It was really nice. No, cool, cool, cool. So, so oh, this, um, Gary Henry said he's yeah. in between deliveries, so he's watching as long as he can. I don't know if that's baby deliveries or. Yeah, yeah, maybe just probably. <laughs> if that person's a comedian, probably Grubhub delivery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? You know, I just if you're a fucking obstetrician <laughs> right now, you know, don't think about your comedy career. Deliver that fucking baby. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm already giving uh, the listeners too much credit here. So this, yeah. so let's get into um, let's get into some of these questions here. It's uh, the first one that posted was uh, Ramiro Lynch, and he says, "Does Sean have a specific writing process? He seems very in- improvisational on stage." Um. Yeah. I mean, I anything you ever see me say on stage, I've probably written down in a notebook or typed on a document before, just because, like, I it's um. I write a lot. My process is generally sit down, whether it be, you know, sometimes sometimes I like to just do it by hand in a notebook. Sometimes I, I hate typing. I just hate it. I've never been good at it, um, but I'm getting better at it, you know, typing into like a fucking Google Doc. But I, I, I write free form like I'm writing a novel. I don't. Um, it's weird to say this as a comedian. I can't write jokes. And what I mean by that is like. Uh, the, the classic joke structure just it, it, it's just not my style. It's something I, I know a lot of other comedians do it. And they do it fucking amazingly well, and I'm very you know blown away by them. But I prefer rants or bits or pieces or whatever the fuck you want to call them. That's just stylistically what I prefer. So I write everything out like it's not going to be read by me. If that makes sense. Interesting. You know, like I like I. It's almost like I'm scripting. 
I, it's almost like I'm scripting. I'm writing a script for someone who is going to play a character and that character is me. And at the very last minute, the person who's supposed to play that character drops out and I end up having to play myself. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know? So the, you like, you, int- yeah, keep going on that. Like I just, I write everything out, uh-huh. like how I, how I would want it to be said if it wasn't, if, if it wasn't like, if it was, like I said, if it wasn't me who was going to be saying it, if it was someone who's going to be playing me. Mm-hmm. No. And, and ultimately I know I'm the one who's going to be saying this shit, but when I get it out on paper, it's, I don't know how to describe this, so I'm just going to try my best. I, when I can look at the words, it's almost like I can hear it, uh, and 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 see how it's going to be, and I can feel the pauses, and I can, uh, when I get it out on paper like that, I can I can or on a screen, I can just sort of like my head wraps around it, it like my, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like my head turns into a stage or like my thoughts turn into a show and it makes sense. Like when I get it out on paper like that, or like I said, on screen. So I write everything out. Of course, a lot of those words end up getting edited. The order ends up getting switched around. Um, uh, you know, sometimes it gets truncated. Sometimes it gets extrapolated. It's always going to change. And that's sort of like the gentleman said, I have a very improvisational style on stage. That's because I don't make a set set. I don't have a set set list. Personally, I don't believe in that idea. I know a lot of people far more successful than me adhere to it, and God bless them. But for me personally, the idea of having a set opener and a set closer and a set middle, it just – that drives me fucking insane. Now, if you watch me set the set, it's not always going to be completely different. Sometimes it's just two or three bits are swapped around, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes I will close with the same thing two shows in a row, but then I'll switch it for the next one. Like, But – in my opinion, when you do that, you are constantly strengthening every single one of your bits because you're almost treating them like I'm, I'm treating them like I'm a band and my bits are songs and I'm playing a concert and all of the songs have to be performed at the level where each one just gets the same. Like, you know what I mean? Like you keep the fucking audience. I'm an energy guy. Right. I'm a momentum based and I realize that in order to keep momentum you've got to treat every single bit like it's your closer and your opener at the at the same time um so you deliver it so yeah at like you're like you treat every single joke as if it's your closer you deliver it as if this is the last thing you're going to be doing on stage type deal and opener because i feel like opener is just as important mm-hmm. right i feel like i feel like a lot of people put all this emphasis on the closer but i feel like your opener is just as important because mm. it's the thing that especially nowadays in a content-driven world where there are figuratively millions of options, but literally hundreds, if not a thousand, um, whatever, you know, you don't have a lot of time. Even if an audience is watching you live, you've got to grab them. you still got to fucking grab them. Then the quicker you grab them, the more they trust you. And the more they trust you, the better the show is going to be. So, um, Yeah. But I feel like any bit because I also, you know, doing sets in New York, uh, you're dealing with a lot of like rotating audience. You're dealing with a lot of like people coming in and out of the room a lot. And I don't want them to walk into a set eight minutes in and be like, 
uh, not that into this because it's because I'm giving them a middle bit or something. It's like, no, I want them to walk in and be like, holy shit, this must be the guy's closing bit because it's really good. And then they sit down and they're like, he's still going. He hasn't even gotten to the closer yet. And the biggest compliment I ever had. I don't I've ne- I never met I never got the dude's name. But uh, it was at a comedy club in uh, this comedy club, actually. And we're talking comedy on state. Awesome. back. Uh, great club. One of my favorites. Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, I've heard it's amazing. Uh, dude, oh, it's a great club. Uh, a dude after a show came up and he's like, man, that was 45 minutes of closers. And I was like, oh, thank you. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, but like, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I've, I could, I could say writing, I've, I've seen you perform. I would say five times now and every show has been different and it has had that energy. And I think it's fascinating. You said building trust with the audience is what makes them want to laugh. So how do you build that trust with them? Is it being funny as fast as possible? Is it being vulnerable and authentic? Like what builds that trust? It's the most, it's, it's so hard (laughs) and it's so easy at the same time. Um, it's, it's, it's hard, it's simple and it's complicated. It's hard. It's easy. It's, it's, my point is it's complex. It's so fucking complex because you gotta, it's a combination of, this is why I think if you are a comedian, it is irresponsible to not be watching the comic right before you. Mm. I'm not saying you got to watch the entire fucking show. And even if you know the comic going on before you and you've watched their set a hundred times. I, I think you're selling yourself short if you are not in the room for their set or at least somewhere where you could be watching it because everything you need to know about the audience is going to happen in that set. You know, you're going to see it's better if you know all the comics material. You're going to see how, it, you know, judging by how you've seen it react and uh, get reactions in other rooms. You can see, you know, what kind of stuff they're laughing at, like what kind of laughers they are, um, what the energy of the room is like. Uh if the person before you is bombing and you've got to fucking bring them up or if they're killing and you've got to rein them in, you know, and ride the wave. It's like, I always watch the comic before me. Always. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I it fucking baffles me when people don't. Um, and it's important because in that first fucking, I don't know, how long does it take you to say hello? A, a second. You've got to read the goddamn room. You've got to, see where you got to go. Sometimes you got to come out hot and just like, like that. Smack them them off their stool. (laughs) Um, That was such perfect timing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Exactly. Timing. And that's what comedy is all about. Good night. Boom. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Yeah, that was a virtual mic drop. But you know that what I mean? Amazing. Like sometimes you got to fucking hit them real hard and just get them on your side. Sometimes you got because but but then sometimes I've had that where I go out and I fucking smack them with a joke real quick and they're sort of like whoa 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 we don't even know you yet and then you've got to like back you know back off a little bit mm-hmm. say hello ease your way into it. But then sometimes I've gone out there kind of tried to ease my way into it and they're like. Come on, come on, hit me with a fucking something I can sink my teeth into. So, so yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's sounding like different. knowing the audience, knowing the makeup of that audience that night, and almost treating the audience like a single person 
And that's how you build trust because they feel like you understand and know them. Some people want it hard and fast. Other people want to slow ease into it. So studying the comic before yeah. you gives you that, that awareness to build the trust. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, cool. fucking audiences are their own unique organism every time. Every single fucking time. You know what I mean? And, like, they feed off of each other. It's true. Like, they feed off of you, the comedian. But, like, they also – I think audiences, when they're – if they're tight, it's because they don't trust each other. Mm. You know what I mean? And if they don't trust each other – then they're definitely not going to trust you. That's where, you, in my opinion, that's where you get tight crowds from. Um, and that's another thing I emphasize. I really fucking, I, and this, everything, unless otherwise said, or just, is, is just me personally. But like, I do not like if I tell a joke and it doesn't get the reaction I want, I do not call the audience out for it. I just don't do it. Right. Right. I don't, I, I get some comedians do. I just don't agree with it because I think, what you are doing is you are you do that enough, and I feel like audiences start. An audience could feel like, well, fuck you. Now we're never going to open up, no matter how good the joke is. Whereas, like, if you go up there, do a do a bit, do a joke, and it it eats shit or just doesn't get a huge laugh, and you just roll along like that's what you intended in the first place. I swear to God, they come around almost like that. If you sh if they feel like, all right, this this fucking comedian knows what they want, and it's just like I, I hate to use the analogy, it's like dating, but it really is like confidence begets trust. It just does, boom. you know. Boom, boom, yeah. That's what we um actually talked about that with Mike Vecchione on here before, with just that, oh, yeah. just going. Do your rhythm, do like do you and let the audience come to you. As long as you keep going, yeah. they don't know what's working or not. They only believe what <coughs> you tell them. So it is a young comic, a big young comic mistake is definitely if and I would do this, if my first like breath didn't get a laugh, I was like, Well, this set's over and I would turn around and like start rubbing the wall and just like just doing absurd things because one joke missed. Yeah, I've found the power and keep going and the audience will go with you oh 100 percent. i'm just gonna I'm, I'm 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 listening i'm just getting some water so i don't cough peanuts all over the place again <laughs> no that's great no you answered that first question the uh yeah ramiro ramiro said um the answer was amazing about his process thank you so that's great and uh thank you for the question zach lyman said this is great we have becky in here becky says hello and uh um, hi becky let's let's get to the next question here this is great so the next yeah, question or or pregunta el proximo pregunta oh wait wait can i show you something real quick absolutely for you fucking for you atlanta peoples uh-huh check this shit out have you seen this i put it online what hold on let me go have full screen that? for you what how did how did you get that made? It's a parody of AT Aliens from Outcast for anyone that um doesn't know what that is. Did you you had that made? Sean. All right. We're gonna pull an audible. Okay. We're um because we have um luckily we have a 
we had a list of a few more questions, so we can really just answer those so people can still okay. hear them when I post the podcast. And, um, okay. Yeah, I'm just going to record this phone conversation, and then... All right, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, you're on speaker, so... I think, uh, I, think this'll, I think this will be good still. Yeah, dude. Fucking give it a go. Let's do it. So, let's get into it. So, the next question was... um. Carter, Carter Bryant, he asked, I was planning to move to New York City, had a Queens apartment and everything. Now I'm not for now. Should I still consider going? Carter? Yeah, his name's Carter. Is he, he's a, I mean, to do stand-up? Yeah, yeah, he's a comedian in Arkansas. Oh, in Arkansas. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean... I definitely think New York is uh, the, the the mecca for stand up uh, in the U.S. Uh, hands down. I mean, L.A. is great. L.A. has some great clubs and some a great scene, but it's just not. You know, it's it's uh, it's not as big and conducive really to stage time. Like um, uh, New York is. I, I would say to anyone in comedy. If if you're gonna move to a ma- if you want to move to a coast, move to New York. It's just it's the mecca. It's the epicenter, the fucking holy ground. There's you know there's 14 comedy clubs that I can think of off the top of my head in the city, and I'm probably missing a few. Um, it's uh, it's great, it, but it is fucking overwhelmingly crowded with comedians, mm. like. There are a fuck ton of comedians, and I, like, I was, like, the other, yeah, it's, I'm trying to get the best way to say this. Like, it's great, but do not expect it to be easy. Because mm. it is not. And I feel like a lot of people come here with this idea that, like, the city's going to give a shit, that you, you know, you, t- you decided to fucking step it up and move here. And, like, you're going to be real – because, like, everyone from your home will be like, oh, my God, you're moving to New York. You're doing it. And you're going to come here with that same attitude of, like, everyone's so proud of me. And then you're going to get here and, no, A, no one's going to give a shit at all. Zero percent. I've seen – the amount of people, I've, comedians I've seen move here who are, like, road dogs, who, like, headline on the road. And then they move to New York and they try and do spots. And they either get told no – or they get like a guest spot and you hear them say something like, you know, I've been headlining for eight years and I can only do seven minutes on this show. It's like, yeah, yeah, doesn't fucking matter. No one cares that you've been headlining, you know, the comedy zones for eight years. And that's not a dig at the clubs. You know, those are good clubs. I'm just saying like no one – New York has no memory. That's the, that's the main difference between New York and L.A. New, L.A. has too good of a memory in the sense that if you have a terrible show in L.A., People will remember it and talk shit about it and you behind your back and then be nice to your face because that's just how L.A. works. Uh, where And if you murder it, if you have a murderous show in L.A., people will remember it forever and book you on shows for the next decade and give you TV shows and uh, invite you on their podcasts. Whereas in New York, 
if you have the absolute worst set in human history where people run out of the club crying and they never want to see a live show ever again and, uh, you know, start murdering puppies <laughs> and because they're just so fucking pissed off at what they just saw, the next day, no one gives a flying fuck. Same exact thing goes for if you murder so hard, if you destroy, if you have the best set ever recorded in the his, or ever seen in the history of stand-up, where there's a, a quadriplegic man in the audience and you make him laugh so fucking hard that his spine realigns and he can walk again, it doesn't matter. The next day, it's already forgotten, and you got to just do it again, over and over again. That's my. I say that to anyone who wants to move to New York. Remember that. You're going to have to put in years, plural, mm. not months, not a year and a half, not two years, years, plural, before anyone is going to give a shit, before you're going to get any sort of uh, recognition, before you start get, before you're going to start getting booked at the clubs, before you're going to start making money, before you're going to start performing full time, before any of that happens, you're going to have to put in years of Stage time, first you're going to have to prove that you're funny, then you're going to have to prove that you're consistently funny, mm. then you're going to have to prove that you're actually funny and not just like doing something that's like, you know, quote unquote, fad funny or, you know, uh, in at the moment. Then you're going to have to prove that you can write more than you than 15 minutes. Then you're going to have to prove that it's a good 15 minutes. Then you're going to have to prove that you can follow an actual, like, alt, like a fucking heavy hit. Like, you're going to have to go up after a Bill Burr or a Sarah Silverman or a Michael Che or a fucking Sam J. Or, you know, you're going to have to go up after someone who's going to knock the fucking roof off the place. And then you're going to have to prove you can follow them. And you're going to have to do that a few times. Then you're going to have to prove that you can bomb and come back on the next set. After everyone already thinks you're the shit, you're going to have to eat shit in front of all these people that you spent years impressing. Then you're going to have to bomb in front of them. Then you're going to have to come back the very next set and kill in front of them and prove that it didn't fucking affect you at all. Then you're going to have to do everything I just said all over again on a higher level three or four more times. It's – I cannot stress to you how difficult moving to New York and becoming a stand-up comedian is. But do it. Absolutely, <laughs> do it. without hesitation. But do it. it. Yeah, because like uh, you hear, you see people. I see it all the time here. People move here and they expect some sort of uh, warmth, and that's mm -hmm. just ridiculous. And also, people are going to be pissed because there's already a thousand comedians here, and now you're just another one to compete with. Really, that's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And there's communities and you make friends and you all get along and you do a bunch of open mics and uh, and this that happens on every level or you do a bunch of club spots and you end up hanging out with your friends having drinks eating food talking about comedy it's fucking great but like it's a lot and there's a lot of fucking miles to feed and a lot of stage time and a lot of stage time but not enough to suit everyone you gotta be really fucking good to get the good quality shit and like the good quality sets and i hear like i hear young comics now talking about money and spot pay and shit i'm like what the fuck are you talking about you're not getting paid it's not you're not getting paid because a club's being unfair and not paying you and a lot of times these k 
kids who've been doing stand-up five years and they move here expecting to be making money within a year? Are you insane? Are you insane? Like, it's, you've got to be good. And good is, however good you are now, multiply that by three. And then you're good enough to do comedy in New York. And I mean that. Like, it's not, it's, that's not a personal, like, you're not shit. It's based on what, like, the, the level of a comedic fucking brilliance I see nightly mm-hmm. in this city is is amazing. It's amazing, and I and I mean amazing in the true sense of like like awesome, like where you're just like fuck, man. Like every show, there's someone goes on and is just great, and that's you know five spots a night usually is what I try name for. And every show you're following or going up before or going up after someone who just had the set of their fucking career or the night. And like, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's so insane and so hard and so at times it'll wear you down. But good God, there's nothing like that feeling of doing a few sets in a row and you crush them all and then you're fucking walking home your head you know it's slightly chilly outside you just had a few drinks and you're just thinking about the you know the sets you're just thinking about like man that was amazing and then you get on the subway and by the time you get home you've gotten home you've picked the sub you've picked those sets apart and now you hate them now you hate them all now you're like god damn it i should have said this line i should have fucking i should have done this first and then closed with that fuck man i blew it you didn't blow it but now you've convinced yourself you have, and the next day you just get right back to it, and you're better because of it. And then the next, you know, it's just, it makes you a better comedian, but it's hard. So just be ready for that. Everyone, I think, moves here expecting, like, a sense of community, and it, there is a community, but it's a it's a meritocracy-driven community. you got to remember that. Like, mm-hmm. no one fucking cares about you personally. What can you do on stage? That's when they start caring. And then that's when you start developing the personal relationships because everybody's got everybody's here trying to fucking make it, trying to succeed, trying to become this next level comedian. No one has time to step aside and be like, oh, hey, um, did you want to say something? Did you did you did you? I'm sorry. Are you are you not getting a fair shake? Well, guess what? None of us are. So step it up. It's hard. It's a harsh, harsh reality, but it's what makes you better it just does that was a very long-winded answer no that was a very well needed answer and that was the reality i think a lot of comics need as you know you're you can be good in your own scene and kind of be a big fish in a little pond but then it's like no matter where you are when you move to new york you're starting back over is what it sounds like to a degree a hundred percent and look and here's here's another uh fact I don't think you need to live in New York anymore to be a, a good, a, a great comedian or a mm. successful comedian. I don't think that's necessary anymore. Like, I probably 20 years ago, I mean, before I started, or even, okay, when I moved to New York, I moved to New York 13 years ago. I'd say 13 years ago, yes, you, you had to move to New York or L.A. to really step it up. But, like, now, I don't, if you don't want to move to New York... And you don't want to move to L.A., um, Atlanta, you guys have a great comedy scene. Thank you, um, thank you. Chicago, Chicago has a fantastic comedy scene. Denver, Denver, Colorado has a magnificent comedy scene. Like, 
if you're not going to move to a New York or L.A., I'd say move to one of those three cities. Move to Chicago, Atlanta, or Denver. And uh, if you're not going to move to New York or L.A., hustle like you're moving and like you're living in New York or L.A. Mm-hmm. But but know that like you can you can succeed at comedy and become a great comedian in a city outside of the coasts of the two the two majors. But if you're going to move to one of the two and you're going to move to New York, I think New York will put you to the fire and will. I think New York, not even think, I know, New York definitely puts you to the fire and you can definitely grow at an accelerated rate because there's just more opportunity here. But you're not, just remember that you are not the only one going for it and be prepared to like prove yourself night after night, which you have to do in any comedy scene. I don't think that's exclusive to New York City, but like if you're going to move here, just realize like it's, you know, it's the front line. It's the fucking right. It's the mosh pit, you know. You don't like it. Think of comedy as a concert. You don't have to be in the pit to enjoy the concert. But if you want to get in the fucking pit, remember that it's a pit, and at any given moment, somebody could throw a fucking elbow at the back of your head. And if you're ready for it, it don't hurt that bad. It only kind of drives you a little further. But like, if if you can't take an elbow or a kick to the chest every now and again, don't get in the goddamn mosh pit. And Just wh- step, you know. What do those? early open mics look like because i've made i've made a few trips to new york and the first trip i made it was like i paid for stage time on one show uh it was like 20 comics on another show and each comic left i went up like 18th so it was literally me two other comics waiting to go up and the host and that was like my stage time that night like those early open mics are no joke either oh yeah i mean look look I'm in a fortunate enough situation to where I haven't had to fuck with open mics in a while. But like right. when I first moved here, good God, dude, they were, they were brutal. They were, I mean, awful. You, there was a handful a week that were pretty good that you, that were like your tent pole open mics. You know what I mean? Like the ones that like floated you through the week. You know, there was, I remember there was a handful where you'd go and like the energy was good. So everyone would stay and, uh, or, you know, some of them would have audience, you know, way back in the day, there's a place called the Creek in the Cave. Uh-huh. It's still around, of course. It's great. But they, that place was an open mic that like, I, I, it saved me. It saved me because I had been in New York for a few months. I was doing all these horrendous mics where you, exactly what you said, where you go, you have to either pay $5 or buy like an item from the bar slash some of them were restaurants and you can just get like a, just like back then five bucks was a fucking lot. You know what I'm saying? Like I was probably living off of like a $20 max a day budget. If that, so like if I had to, if I was doing, I remember I would try and do at least three mics a night back then. And if two of them cost money to do, it was a fucking, it sucked. But so I would try and find the free ones and, and for months, man, I was just doing these mics that were god awful, but I was, but I was, you know, but I knew that going into it. I was like, this is part of being in New York. Yep. But I just pressed on, and then finally found the mic at the Creek in the Cave, and it was like I almost cried, I almost fucking cried tears of fucking joy after that first mic because it was full of like comedians who are now still to this day friends of mine, and you know it had a small but mighty audience, and it was a place that like cared about comedy, and I and. I'm sure currently there are mics at places like that. I know the Creek does a mic every night, 
Um, so I think, you know, that place is probably still pretty great. Um, but yeah, man, early on, good God, dude, they were fucking terrible. And comics are walking out, going up and bombing. It felt like people were bombing on purpose sometimes because they just hated everything. And they wanted you to be miserable too. Yeah. Um, you know, some mics would start at 5 p.m. So you're going on stage while the sun's still up and they're like, some of them were ambush mics, which I I still to this day refuse. I, I mean, it's been probably about a decade now. I've refused to do ambush shows for a long time now. I don't agree with them. Don't don't start a goddamn ambush show. What do you what mean an by that? Show is, yeah, it's an it's a show where you the audience does not know there's a comedy show. Yep. Where it's a pizzeria or a fucking restaurant or a just a bar. And you just, and someone if someone has to go on stage and tell the audience that there's about to be a comedy show, that's an ambush show. <laughs> I, I I am a thousand percent against them, and I think do your fucking research and find a better venue. I I think everyone should start a show. I think that is a fundamental important thing for every comedian to do is start their own show. Agreed. Um, and find the best possible venue you can. Don't just put it up at your local bar because the bartender says you can, but there's no stage and it's just a long shotgun bar and the comedian's got to perform next to the bathroom and the, the only way to plug in the mic is behind the bar so there's like an extra long cord that people have to step over or you have to lift it up every time someone comes in and out of the bathroom. This is coming from a real fucking place. There's a motherfucker who started showing Queens where that exact thing happened where anytime someone came in or out of the bathroom, you either had to lift the cord up so they could walk under it <laughs> Or walk closer to the bathroom so it would lay flat on the floor and they could walk over. Like, don't just start a fucking show because someone says you could do it. Make sure it's a good enough venue. Make sure there's a designated area. It doesn't have to be a stage, but a designated performance area. Make sure there are lights on this area. Mm -hmm. Make sure there's a good sound system. And make sure it is in an area of the venue that is undisturbed by the rest of the venue. And I know that's hard, but fucking do it. Anyway. No, that's um, great advice. And it really, it kind of ties into the next question from Charlie Harper. Yeah. He, he's asking, if you remember the show at the Punchline in Atlanta last year, where a, yeah. guy, a guy got mad at a Jesus being black bit. And yeah, he left. He yeah, walked, he yeah, walked, he, walked So he said... On the same note, what is the most uncomfortable reaction you've ever faced, and how did you respond? Um, strangely enough, <laughs> that exact same bit. Wow. Um, about a year earlier, at uh, one of what I think is one of the best comedy clubs in the country, uh, one of my favorites, Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis. Oh, I've um, heard that's amazing. Right. I was doing, it was about a year earlier, I was doing a set, and that bit was, the bit that that guy's talking about is a bit that I love, that I'm actually about to release, uh, I filmed it at the Cellar, we filmed it for the Comedy Central Cellar show like a month and a half ago, and they're not going to use it, but I have the footage, so I'm going to release it pretty soon. Um, it's a bit that is a little, uh, I can understand if you're a hardcore religious person, and doesn't then don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ was also human. Uh, this bit will disturb you, but it, I also maintain that I'm not actually saying anything wrong. But people are uh, just don't 
once you say Jesus or any religious thing on stage, you're immediately polarizing the crowd. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're in Portland, Oregon, Brooklyn, New York, the most hip of the hip places. Everyone you know has been re- most of the people you know have been raised re- have been raised with some sort of religious influence. So even the most devout atheist motherfucker will still have a reaction when they hear Jesus or Muhammad or any sort of religious deity. Um, the bit that this dude's talking about, uh, yeah, the guy got up and walked out because I point out how Jesus is probably black. But um, in that same bit, I also point out the possibility that Jesus Christ was uh, bisexual. And that's not for shock value. It's, you know, he rolled around with 12 dudes and was a cult leader. And in order to be a cult leader, you got to be pretty open-minded and charismatic, right? Um, and uh, I was doing this bit in at Acme, and it was going, the show was going fucking great. And I remember it because there was a bachelor party, a bachelorette party, and normally bachelorette parties are fucking God awful, right? Because they want to make it all about them. This was a bachelorette party of all lesbians, right? Um, I would talk to them after the show, and it was the the both the bride and the other bride were both there, um, and all of their people who were going to stand their wedding were there. So it was like a it was like a dual bachelorette party. It was a bunch of lesbians, um, like fifteen of them. And they were laughing like wild fucking hyenas. It was great. Like the whole show, they were just laughing so loud and pounding the tape. Well, they don't have tables at Acme, which is what makes it one of the best clubs. They don't have like, they don't serve food, so all the chairs are facing forward. They just have little side tables to put your drinks on. But people are just like, they're laughing so loud, and it was great. And then I get to this Jesus bit, and... They're loving it, but then this couple sitting directly up front, uh, the woman finally just goes, stop it already. Stop it to, to me, not to the lesbians, to me. And I was like, I'm sorry. And then she goes on to talk about how much of a piece of shit I am for doing a bit about Jesus. And now the lesbians are letting her have it. It's like, shut up, you fucking cunt. Shut oh. up. It's funny. Oh. And it was hilarious. It was like, yeah, yeah, but. I was trying to be diplomatic, and she, her boyfriend wasn't saying anything, right? The dude wasn't saying anything. And I was like, he doesn't seem to be as offended as you are, ma'am. Uh, uh, I think he thinks it's funny. I think he's. I think you're the only one who finds it offensive. I think your own husband here finds it hilarious. And she goes, why don't you ask him what he thinks? And I look at him, and all the dude does is crack his knuckles, right? Oh. Like... In a way where it's like he wants me to notice he's cracking his knuckles. Like if I say anything to him, he's going to stand up and hit me. And I hear one of the lesbians go, go, please, motherfucker. I crack, I crack my knuckles inside this bitch's ass every night. <laughs> uh, referring to, I don't, you know, someone she fingers in the butt every night. I suppose. <laughs> and everyone laughs real goddamn hard. And then the acne security who are like, ninjas they move in real quick and basically let it be known to this guy like uh you're not gonna do shit you can either leave or watch the rest of the show but shut the fuck up and i finished the bit and i'm like man i'm gonna finish the bit because the show isn't about you and i think if you actually listen to what i'm saying uh i'm not being offensive and everyone else seems to be enjoying it so uh you know fuck off and i 
start I go back in the bit they of course leave um but after the show's over they're in the bar just oh. waiting right oh boy and I come out and the other comedians are like dude they're still here like they didn't get thrown out they left so they didn't the security can't throw them out they're not doing anything wrong but they're just sitting over there like waiting and I never went over and talked to them I talked to the group the big group I talked to other people at the show who loved it we everyone had the same thing to say of just like what the fuck was wrong with that couple man that bit was funny and people were saying it, it was very nice but the whole time in the back of the bar at Acme which isn't that big that couple is just sitting there fucking mean mugging me dude and at one point I was like dude I think they're just gonna wait it out they're gonna cause they're again they're not doing shit wrong they're buying drinks they're just hanging out like they're just gonna wait this out and then fucking murder me in the name of their lord <laughs> and luckily the bar quote unquote closes which it, it closes but only to people who are not performers right they, they kick everybody out about an hour before shutdown so they, they, they that, that couple had to be they're like hey you guys gotta go and they left but part of me kind of regrets not just going over and being like what Let, let's just do this right now what what you want to fucking hit me you want to crucify me you want to shout at me let's do it all I'll shout back but I did. I just kind of let them sit in the back, staring at me ominously for about an hour. Um, Jeez. But I still think about it sometimes. Like they, like I still sometimes expect to see them at other shows. Like they became like my hugest fans just in just to follow me, so they could fucking murder me in the name of Jesus. Because that is the frightening thing: is people will do shit in the name of religion in a righteous way like that's the thing i remember that guy when he walked out of the show at the punchline and if this whoever had asked this question if they were there they remember me being like how do we know that guy's not walking out to get a fucking gun right now yeah like true to my knowledge georgia is an open carry state like he might have walked he might have a fucking nine millimeter in his truck and he's just waiting for me to walk out of the parking lot and he's gonna shoot me in the head and then be like i i was the hammer the Lord's hammer, and I and I was dropped by the Lord on top of this haven. You know what I'm saying? Like motherfuckers are crazy like that. So like, I guess my side advice is if you're gonna do material about religion, make it so fucking funny mm-hmm. that even the people you offend have to laugh. And if they laugh, they will not be as pissed. It's funny that bit has caused you several problems on stage, and now it's a bit you taped for Comedy Central as well. But I guess they thought that was even too controversial to air. Is that why they're not going to use it? Uh, no, it's just not short enough. It's a very long-winded bit. Gotcha. Um, but like, I love it. I don't. I don't. To me, it's like I think if Jesus Christ were real, was actually the Son of God. Like, I'm not an atheist, but I just have my doubts that Catholicism figured it out. Um, but let's just say they're right. Let's just say Catholics are right, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He comes back. God comes. He comes back one day. I would. I would hope that He saw that bit because I think even Jesus would find it funny. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think even Jesus would be like, ha, 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 I mean, you're right. You know, I probably do have a giant dong. You know, like it's. I. I am the Son of God for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? Like. I, I, it's always been my issue with doing religious material is people act like they're God or Jesus or whatever religious thing you're making fun of doesn't have a sense of humor. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna um, yeah. 
pause. Learn as we go, brother. That's um. That is interesting about having like a more like quote controversial joke is they usually start out like for me for instance I have a joke where I was comparing I was a dishwasher and I was working with Mexicans and then I started thinking about Mexicans and then Chinese people so I I created a joke comparing the two and like how they're the same but starting out you know I'm like blonde haired blue eyed white guy so anything anything I talk about race it's just default racist like I'm just oh, too yeah, white yeah. to say anything racial, but that joke started out in the early days of it, of like people heckled me saying that's racist, or it really, um, it really caused um, a reaction from the audience, and it wasn't laughter, but my instinct was telling me there's something funny here. Like I don't know what it is yet, but I feel like the fact that the audience is reacting in some way means that they care enough to react. So I kept working on the bit and working on it, and now. It's evolved into one of my favorite jokes, but those early days were dicey. Yeah, so yeah. Like developing that joke, what did you see a similar evolution where it was like it was off-putting, but your sense of humor was telling you there's something here. I just don't know what yet. Oh yeah, man, that's part of it. That's part of it. I mean, like, like you're talking about, you know, you know, white being a white guy can't talk about race. I think, and I know what you mean, but it's also like, and I feel like you probably feel the same way. It's like. If you're a white guy and you're going to talk about race, you just better be funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think apply that to everything. Like anything you want to talk about that you think is controversial or a subject that people are sensitive to, put yourself in the shoes of a white guy who's trying to make a point about race. Right? Mm-hmm. Walk that carefully because that will help you find the, the, the moments that you can actually lash out at. And then and, and can actually explode during because like I feel like that's a mistake a lot of people make is they get on stage and they want to say something like, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just saying, you know, technically, you know, uh, you know, statistically proven that women aren't as good at drivers as men. You know, I'm just saying. And like, of course, if you go out there and just say some shit like that, no one wants to hear what you have to say after that. It's like you're just being an asshole without proving why. But if you go out there with some well-written, well-proven, ultimately funny but not just shitting on women and you somehow turn it back against yourself material, you can say whatever the fuck you want. That's something Bill Burr does Yes. on a Jedi level where he will take shots at everything but then also throughout the course of it remind you that A, it's just his opinion and B – how he's also probably a doofus for thinking it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like, he almost he, has to bring it back to himself to give the audience permission that it's like, right. it's okay. And he does it in such a fucking Jedi way where he's like, I'm going to say this fucked up thing, you're going to hate me, then you're going to laugh at me, and then I'm going to point out how I'm a flawed human being who thinks these things, and then you're going to fucking sympathize with me and be on my side. He does it in... I opened for him uh, in January in New Orleans. Oh, my and gosh. I watched his uh, – just one night, and I watched his hour, and it's like, dude, the hour he's working on now is going to – it's going to be – I mean, hopefully he continue working on it and release it. It's going to be his best yet, man. Like, it's wow. so fucking good. Um, but he's my favorite. Bill, I adore him. Yeah, he, he's, you had that great story in our first interview together about, like, 
he came up to you after seeing you yeah, on Montreal, stage yeah. and was just like how comfortable you are in silence is like he's never seen someone so comfortable in silence before and that's which a almost, huge compliment yeah which almost which which almost which also almost which also <laughs> sounds like the most fucking <laughs> lethal insult ever like man when you get up there and no one laughs at all the entire time you're on stage you are just so comfortable in that painful silence yeah i like, think anyone that doesn't understand silence like yeah. can see it as the wrong way but anyone who yeah. understands the power of silence and the power in controlling an audience through laughter and through listening understands that yeah. that is like a compliment at the highest level it's like watching uh that guy get fucked to death by a horse <laughs> It's painful, but you can't. He really just takes that horse dick. Like, you take the silence. <laughs> nah, yeah, silent. There's so much There's so much power in silence. Yeah, yeah man. Fuck yeah. So I think we, we have, it we have looks like two more here. Um, Let's go. Um, this is great, dude. Then this is, man, this is why I was so excited. And you were like, when I was asking people who they would like to have a Q&A with, that's why you were at the top of the list because your first episode with us was just like a master class and you're you're doing it again. So seriously, thank you for being so generous with your time and like knowledge. Um, oh, thanks, man. So the next one is from uh, Matt Tamburino and he says... Good name. Yeah, he's he's actually based here in Atlanta. I've, he's, uh, he's, a, he's one of these young guns out here hustling, so it's glad he's out here. Uh, connecting yeah. on Hot Breath as well. It's uh, Skankfest South was supposed to be this weekend. Two-parter question. What were you most excited about, and do you think everything will be back to normal by the rescheduled September dates? Um, that's an interesting question because I, I, could, I, I was not able to do... I couldn't do Skankfest South. Um. Mm. They asked, no, they asked me to do it. I mean, those are my fucking boys, but I couldn't. I had a book. I was booked already. Uh, I tell you what, though, if anyone is going to go to, if you're going to go, it's September, they rebooked it for shit. Maybe I'll try and get on it now. Um, A, that fest is fun as fuck. B, the place they're doing it in Houston, the secret group. Oh, yeah. I did a show there uh, last year. Awesome. Yeah, great venue awesome venue i wish there was a venue like the secret group in any in every city in america if you're not familiar with it look it up but it's a it's a comedy venue a comedy and music venue but you know primarily comedy run by owned and operated by comedians run very well yeah and it's run very fucking well and it's awesome and it's and houston is a city that i think like comedically has been in the shadow of austin for about a decade now austin still has a great comedy scene great comedy club couple great comedy clubs in austin but i feel like houston is like houston is now like the underground independent scene in texas and uh the secret group's fucking amazing it's a great spot but Mm -hmm. um i hope i hope everything is back to normal by september actually I, i don't like using that phrase there's no such thing as back to normal this is something going through katrina taught me was that like shit like this you're affected forever it changes everything mm. nothing will have, it will never be but that does not mean bad it just means you have to we have to learn from this so when you get back when it get back when it gets back to functioning again i think is a better that's what i've been saying like when society starts functioning again you know we're all going to be a little more aware of a lot of things and shit's going to move slowly at first but it'll move again 
Um, and I think Skankfest will be awesome. And if you're going to go, go. And, you know, I admire those guys so much, the Skank Boys, uh, because they did it on their own. They yep. fucking did it on their own. And, like, uh, I admire that about them. I've known them all for, you know, years, a decade at least. Um, Jay has kind of always gotten uh, props from everyone because Jay, Jay is just a fucking master, master. I like, I, I love Big Jay watching Big Jay perform. Yeah. Um, he's a fun, he's like the funniest fucking guy, man. He, he just, he's a natural, just put him on a bar stool, give him a microphone, let him just go. Um, but like, you know, Dave, Dave is also fucking brilliant, a very political guy, but like, he's funny and like, Lewis is great. Lewis is a funny dude and he's a, like, it's like the industry didn't care though about any of those guys. They joined forces and built a fucking borderline, like an army, an empire, you know, and they care about good comedy and they're not picky in, in the way that like, you don't have to be just like a skank type comic to be in there in the cut. You know, they like all kinds of comedy and they, they're all funny guys and they all love the craft and, I, I admire, I think we should all be trying to do that because like at the end of the day, the comedy industry doesn't give a shit about comedians. Mm. They, they, they use, you know, they comedians, you, you get a little success and they start, they're all, you know, on your side. And then the moment, you know, you hit a lull or you hit a blank spot and that happens in everybody's career. It's inevitable. You'll pop people pop off and then people hit fucking dark times, peaks That's... and valleys. It's just a natural it's just the way it fucking works. And during the valleys, during the peaks, they're all there. They're all fucking ready to you know, during the light times, they're all there basking in the light with you. And then when it gets dark, they they're all they all fucking leave because they're gonna go bask in the other people's light. And other you know what I mean? Like they all they're all driven by money. They're not loyal. I'm not saying they're bad people, but they're. It's a business. It's a business. It's show business. You know, it's and 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 it sucks and it fucks with your head and it hurts and and the worst part is you have to take it entirely on the chin. They they claim zero responsibility and they don't care. They truly don't give a shit. They'll act like you're. They'll act like they do, and they do when when you're making a lot of money. But when you're when you're going through a patch where you got to fucking figure it out on your own, they very few of them care. There are a few. There's a there's a good 10-15% of the comedy industry that cares, that wants to be there, that are your friends, that are in this with you, that believe in it. They they exist 100%. Like I said, there's about 10 to 15% of the the whole. But you can't rely on anyone else but yourself. Mm. That's the biggest thing I've learned about comedy in all this time. And it's the harshest part is that you are the only person you can rely on. And that sucks because I come from a, I came from a time where we all got into this believing that if you were just good enough at comedy, that alone would be enough. And unfortunately that is not the truth. Right. It helps. In fact, it's very important. In fact, it's the most important thing. You have to be good at this. That's the most important thing. Be good at this. T do what you got to do. Take the steps and the time 
and insert the passion and the drive and the work to become as great at this as you possibly can and know that that is a lifelong commitment. It never stops. And I've said this before. It never gets easier. You simply get better at it, right? But there's also this element now where you've got to be the one that promotes yourself. You got to be the one that puts yourself out there. You got to be the one on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. You got to be the one promoting yourself. That part, for me personally, took me the longest time to accept. And it's the part I at first hated, hated it. But it's time, and I still don't love it yet, but I'm getting better at it the promotional social media part mm-hmm. and you just got to do it. You just got to do it and find ways where you can insert creativity and find ways where you can make it fun and make it your own. And you got to do it. You got to do it. So now not only do you have to become a great comedian, but you've got to become a really good promoter as well. At the same time, you yeah. got to you, you don't want to become a great promoter because then that means you're probably slacking in the comedian part. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so focus, like, try, be a great comedian and try and be a really good promoter at best. But, like, and that's, but also that's the funny thing because I've, I've met fucking comedians in, like, smaller scenes, you know, who who look up to uh, the Legion's Gangs or Come Town. That, there's another example. Mm-hmm. Those boys did the same exact fucking thing. Come Town boys, I love those guys as well. They did the same fucking thing. They weren't getting attention. They said, fuck, 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 fuck the industry. We'll just go straight to the fans. And now they're great. But it's but also you got to remember, all, Stavros, Adam, uh, Nick, those fucking guys have all been doing comedy a decade apiece, minimum. Same thing. Jay, you know, Jay and Lewis and, uh, you know, Dave, they've all been doing comedy a decade apiece. Uh, the guys we fucked, those, that podcast, Christina uh, and Chris, you know, they're fucking great. They're popping off. They've also been doing comedy a while. They, you know what I'm saying? Like, my point is, all of these podcasts where these comedians that have popped off and these comedians, Ari, Shafir, people, look how huge his podcast is. Yeah, that motherfucker's been doing comedy 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, Ari's great. Everybody, it's, it's, it's like all of these podcasts where people were able to push out there and just be on their own and say, fuck the industry. They all have the exact same thing in common that all of the people who are the stars of them put in the work to get good at comedy first. Mm, preach. Do, do that first. Mm-hmm. And that, be prepared, may take a long fucking time. Yep. But that's the point. If you are getting into comedy at all, there is no quick route. There is no two-year plan it doesn't work that way yep yeah every now and again there's a lightning in a bottle situation where someone gets snatched up after doing comedy for two years and gets thrown into all these high-profile situations and for a year or two is at the top of the fucking world and then guess what happens a year after that they're nobody they're back at the bottom no one gives a fuck because they didn't have the chops to stay at the top Mm mm-hmm and you know that's, what I'm saying? that's really like my goal with this show, Hot Breath, is to connect. It's really the show I wish existed when I started comedy. I've been doing comedy 10 years now. And um, connecting comedians with comics like you and giving that 
insight and that perspective that it doesn't get easier, it just gets better. I mean, you just get better, you know, and focusing on funny first. Like, I didn't even think about promoting myself until May. It, I think it was like seven or eight years into it when I was like, I feel like I'm getting somewhat proficient, but even 10 years in, I'm like, I'm just beginning still. Like, this is a lifelong journey and a never-ending puzzle. But, like, I felt like it wasn't until probably eight years to where I was like, oh, I feel like I at least have my sea legs on stage, but there's still so much to learn. And it's very reassuring someone like you 19 years in for comedians to hear that it takes a while and that's okay. And it's supposed to take a while. So just enjoy the process. Dude, I remember, I remember, like, this was like maybe two months ago. Um, I was at the stand here in new york mm-hmm. and it was it was you know packed packed room and the audience was kind of weird and i went on the stage and i just had one of those like fuck you sets and it killed this fucking poof, explosive set and it was like oh man fucking a and i got off stage and i was so happy and then i had another spot my next spot was at the cellar in the uh, uh the cellar the comedy cellar in new york i don't know if most people know this or not but it's three rooms Right, it's not just one club, right? It's one club, but it's three rooms, and they're, and they're like a. Like two, one of them is the, the the original, the McDougal Street room, the original comedy cellar. You know, it's small, and then around the corner is two more rooms. It's like li- literally around the corner. It's a you know thirty second walk. It's uh, the Village Underground, which is like the, the bigger room, but still looks exactly like the other comedy cellar, and then the Fat Black Pussycat, which is upstairs, which is like their black box theater kind of thing. It's great. But I had a set at the Village Underground Comedy Cellar Room. So I, I walk in there. I'm feeling fucking top of my fucking game. And the kid on before me. Oh, shit. Okay, wait. I just fucking put two and two together. The kid on before me is a little known motherfucker. You may know him. His name's Mike Rowland. Okay. Oh, from Atlanta. Um, of Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's own Mike yep. Rowland. Oh, yeah. Um, so he goes on stage and he does this fucking. Uh, like okay so there's a band there's like a, a not a band but a drummer and a pianist on stage with you at that club they play you on they play you off and if you want to interact with them you can but if you don't they just they don't bother you right but mike goes on stage and does this fucking riff with the band that was just hilarious and murderous and crushed so fucking hard and immediately kicked me off of my highway sweep <laughs> the legs out from under me where now this high I'm from another set, I just saw this fucking kid. And I know Mike. I've known him. You know, I met him in Atlanta in, like, 2017 or whatever, right before he moved to New York. And, like, you know, I see him all the time in New York. And fucking killer set. And then, like, he gets off stage, and I see him, and I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. And I'm, like, praising that bit. And, uh, and I wasn't next. There was one more comic. So while the other comic's on stage, I'm just like, dude, that was fucking hilarious. And he's like, oh, shut up. And I'm like, you shut up. (laughs) And then I go on stage, and by the time I get on, and it's the audience was just drunker, rowdier than they were. Mm -hmm. And I have one of these, like, painfully fucking, where, like, one audience, like, I say, I forget even what I was talking about, but someone, like, tries to heckle me, and I have to shut them down. And then while they're, while I'm fucking yelling at this one person, this other fucking asshole chimes in. And now I'm like, I'm like stomping out like three fires, but the audience is clearly enjoying watching this. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm hating the fact that I have to fucking deal with drunk assholes. So I'm just like having a full on cathartic yet angry fucking set. <laughs> and in my head, I'm eating shit and I'm simultaneously like trying to stay on top of the room, but also remembering like, well, I'm here I am, the guy who goes last on the show where everyone else killed and I'm just fucking eating it up here and dealing with these drunk pieces. I was so fucking angry. And then I get off stage, and all the comics who were on the show are still in the back of the room. And they were all like, oh, man, that was great. I'm like, what do you fucking mean? That was fucking great. That was terrible. And everyone was like, no, no, no. We could tell it probably sucked in the moment. But trust me, it was fucking hilarious to watch. And then you were like, oh, yeah, because sometimes the unexpected happens. And mm-hmm. you just have to be ready to deal with it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you got to throw it all out the window and just know, like, fuck, man. Like, I might have to just stomp out fires or deal with assholes this whole set. But if you just are at your top game in that moment, it'll be all right. And then we went upstairs and got fucking hammered on Jameson. And, uh... <laughs> but you were, you were on, you were, you killed first. Don't get hammered on Jameson and then perform. You wait till after, right? I don't, yeah, I don't drink before I go on. Yeah, I, me rarely will I have like a beer here and there or a glass of wine or something. But like, I don't, I don't like going on stage drunk. I, I know, like, me neither. Yeah, it throws me off. Like, I remember there was, um, I was working the comedy catch in Chattanooga, and I went out with my wife that uh, that afternoon and had like a beer, and then I bombed. Both both shows that night, and I blame it on like my timing, and I was tired. I blame it literally on that beer in the afternoon, threw off my entire timing for the rest of the night. Right, or it's just that I suck at comedy. It could be that too. I don't think I don't. I think it's a combination of the two. <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> uh, but no, that is that is comedy. I had like. Three killer shows, a killer Thursday, two killer Fridays, and then both Saturday shows. And I mean, by bomb, I mean, like, to, like, the standard in my head. Like, people still politely laughed, and it, like, it wasn't crickets, you know? But in my head, like, if it's not, like, people puking in the aisles, then I'm like, ah, I, sh- I could have done better. You know what I mean? Dude, I, early on, when I was... This was maybe when I'd been doing comedy for three years, right? Um, I was still living in New Orleans. I was still doing open mics. And I've been trying for the past couple minutes to fucking remember this dude's name. I cannot remember his name. I wish I would have fucking written this down. But he was like a a road dog. He's like a touring, you know, comedian. Uh, Which this was in like, you know, 2004. So like, you know, YouTube didn't exist yet. The internet wasn't what it is now. There was no social media. There was Friendster, and that wasn't the term social media hadn't been invented yet. No, smartphones. No one had smartphones. So this dude was touring the country back when it probably sucked real hard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because at least now, with the internet being what it is, like, if you have a fan base, you can go anywhere in the fucking country, around in the world, and people will show up who are fans of yours. And fans of yours want to see what you have to do, you know? Um, Whereas I imagine back then, you just we're playing for unsuspecting idiots or people who are like, Hey, a comedy club, let's go get drunk and get roasted. This is before roasting was even a thing. Anyway, the guy, fuck, what's his fucking name? Anyway, he was real. He showed up 
at this open mic and was just like, you know, told us who he was, touring road comedian, in town, just stopping between gigs, wondered if he could if he could do some time. And, the, and, you know, it was an open mic in New Orleans. There's maybe 10 of us going on. And the host was real like, oh, yeah, man, you want to close it out? And I remember the guy going, uh, can I do real time if I close it out? And none of us knew what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> and he could tell that. So he was like, can I do at least, can I do half an hour if I close it out? And we were, and the, guy, the host was like, yeah, fuck yeah, of course. So we were all like on our P's and Q's that night because this open mic was at a place called True Brew Cafe. Pre-Katrina, it's not there anymore. But um, we got like a semblance of a real audience a lot of the nights because it was just this coffee slot. It was this coffee shop slash bar, um, and you'd have people in there. It wasn't an ambush show; it was a very publicized open mic. But you'd have ten comedians and probably fifteen audience, right? Like real audience in there. So it was pretty. It was a pretty good open mic, and this was one of those nights where, you know, there are ten or so comedians and a day, fifteen audience, and every comedian is going up and just doing their best to knock it out of the park because there's this real comedian in the back of the you know in the show that night, mm-hmm. and everybody's trying to impress this dude. I remember though noticing how much the guy was drinking during the show, right? So like to put in perspective, there's a host was going on you know doing host time and every comedian we all got uh seven minutes right which is long for an open mic which is new Orleans. yeah so this guy's got about an hour and a half to just kind of uh kill uh before he goes on stage and presumably kills but i remember i'm in the back of the room just kind of observing the whole thing because i went up right before him i was last on the open mic and um before him and he's just like he's doing quote unquote boiler makers you know what a boiler maker is Mm-mm. it's just a beer and a shot from what i know right okay. so he's doing boiler and he can't i remember he kept saying boiler maker and then have it and then he kept having to be like it's a budweiser and a jack and a jack if you ain't got jack i'll take jim it's fine and he just kept fucking doing boiler quote unquote boiler maker well not quote unquote that's what he was doing so he must have done eight or nine of those seriously so basically point is by the time he gets on stage he's visibly hammered right but i remember his opening joke killed i do not remember the joke i just remember it was something to do with tricking his neighbor with down syndrome into giving him a hand job oh boy but it murdered it was just like you know this was 2004 before anyone no one no one was paying attention to what people were saying. And then it became this like 10, 15 minute, just almost like watching a wild animal in the zoo. Cause the guy was very energetic, but he wasn't making sense. And he, it felt like he would start a, a joke. He'd give you the setup and then he'd give you the punchline from a different joke. Mm. And so a few of us comedians, we make the mistake of laughing from the back of the room, but we're laughing at this dude. We're laughing at him. You know what I mean? We're not laughing with him. We're like, this guy is fucking trash, and we all put our best foot forward tonight to try and impress that. And I, and I remember every one of the new, uh, every one of us on the old mic, we all had good sets. Like the, it was going well, and now this was on stage, so we're all laughing, which makes the 
the audience members in there sort of laugh at the fact that we're laughing. And it's almost like they all kind of get in on the joke as well. The joke is this fucking guy mm-hmm. who's clearly too hammered and just not piecing it together. But of course, he's a comedian hearing laughter, so he's under the impression that he is killing, right? Killing. And then he puts the mic in the stand and then belches very loud. Which gets a huge laugh because it was just kind of exactly what... Like, if he were a cartoon, bubbles would have come out. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And then he just goes, Oh! Oh, wait! Oh, fuck! Hold on! Yep! And then he just walks. Ah, Fuck, I didn't paint the picture well. He walks off stage. The entrance was right next to the stage. Right? And it was glass doors. And it was a big thing because there were so many nights where you'd be on stage during the open mic and at least once a night it happened where someone was walking by, they saw a bunch of people laughing, they looked in through the glass doors, they saw a comedian on stage, the comedian would address the pedestrian. Sometimes it was a funny exchange, sometimes it wasn't. But, but the glass doors were right next to the stage. The guy gets off stage, goes through the glass doors, and right there, just on the streets, on fucking Julia Street in New Orleans, if you know the city, just starts fucking yakking no. in plain view of everyone. <laughs> of everyone. And the host, and like, everyone's dying. Everyone's like, ah! Like, watching this guy fucking just, ah, just puke on the street and we're all everyone's fucking laughing and the host is trying to be like all right wait hold but he can't fucking hold the guy he's like well i mean and then he starts doing commentary on the bomb he's like oh. well this looks like it's gonna be a step here comes round three. Oh, there it is everyone's been here <laughs> this is the round what we call the ghost round i remember that made me laugh so hard where he's like everyone knows the ghost round that's when you're like is there any more in there no there's not yeah there definitely is it exists and The guy comes back in. He walks right back through those doors, and it's his face. The only way I can describe it is like he had forgotten he had just been on stage performing. Like his memory lapsed, and the only the last thing he remembered was seconds earlier when he was vomiting into the street. Right, so he had this face where it was almost like surprise, like oh shit, there's an audience. And then you could see his wheels start turning, like, oh, yeah, fuck, I was before, oh, God, these people just saw me barf, oh, God. And he does this gesture where he's like, Whoa. and he, like, gestures to the mic, like, can I come on stage? And the host was like, do you want to come on stage and say a few words? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And so he comes back on stage, and we're all kind of like, okay, I guess he's going to, like, apologize or explain himself. And he fucking goes right back into his set. Like, right back into it. Like, he hadn't, like, like he duped us all. Like, he didn't forget. He goes back on back stage, like, so anyway. (laughs) So anyway. And he launches right back into the fucking dot that it was. And it, he was only on stage for maybe two or three more minutes, but it murdered. And I don't think a fucking soul could have told you what he was talking about. Because it was just gibberish bullshit because he was still fucking hammered just because he barfed at me and he sobered up you know and I thank you very much good night (laughs) he gets off stage and 
we're, I mean, people are fucking applauding the guy. He goes to the bar, gets probably another round of Boilermakers. We're all fucking thinking it's goddamn hilarious. Uh, and I, I don't know what happened to him. I have zero, like, never heard about that guy. I, for every time, every now and again, I expect to see him somewhere. Just like, oh my God, that's the guy. But I haven't, I hope he didn't die that night. But I can tell you that's 100% the reason why I don't drink before I go on stage. Is because that was one of those situations where you're like, this is a lightning in a bottle moment. This mm-hmm. is the best possible case scenario of getting hammered before you go on stage. <laughs> I guarantee he's done this part before. The ham- yeah, I guarantee he's gotten hammered before and it's gone the complete opposite. Where he's gotten hit or he's gotten thrown out or he didn't get paid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or the guy was a fucking genius and long conned us all. Like, that was the bit. It was, it was a performance art. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that is how but, a lot of, like, comedians, when they start comedy, they start off having, like, start off early at open mics. They have a beer there. It turns to two beers. And then 10 years later, they're having 18 Boilermakers. Like, it can be a slippery yeah. slope like that. I mean, dude, 80% of the comedians you know that are successful that you probably admire as a comedian, as a comedy fan, are, are sober. Mm. Most comedians are sober. My, not myself, but like, there's a few of us who still drink, but like a lot of comedians are sober or don't drink as much as they let you believe. You know what I mean? Because at a certain point, you can't. You just fucking can. You know what I mean? I'm nearing that. I, I sense that now. I, I think of me 70 years ago. I could toss them back after every show. I'll still drink with people after shows, but, like, I mean, fuck, man. Like, the the amount of times I woke up on a Tuesday at 2 in the afternoon being like, all right, don't do that again. And then the next thing I know, it's the following Tuesday, and a week has gone by, and all I've done was wake up, go do five, go do as many sets as I needed to do that night, and then the, the week just slipped by because you, you it's, it's fucking hard, man. Like, you get off stage, and people enjoyed it, and they want to buy you a drink, and you're like, oh, I'll have one, and they buy you one, and then... Well, and then you're like, well, and they're like, no, let's get another, and they want to buy you another one, and then the and then the and then you're done with the second one, like that's all. And then the bartender comes over and goes, this round's on me because you just made two people stay and buy another round of drinks. So right. Technically, you're making the bar money. Like this round's on me, so now you're three drinks in, and then you're like, well, fuck. And then finally, the couple that were buying you drinks leaves, but then two more of your comedy buddies showed up, and now you've got three drinks in you. So you're like, fuck, all right. And it was like, dude, did you hear what happened? I fucking around the corner tonight like no tell me and then they order up another round and the next thing you know you're at the table now and there's four more comedians and you've had six more drinks you're nine you're nine drinks in and you're just hammered and you don't give a fuck anymore and uh and and then the bar closes but they don't kick you out they kick everybody else out you get to stay till they leave and that's three more hours and then the next thing you know it's 7 30 in the morning you are walking across the brooklyn bridge uh with four slices of pizza uh, <laughs> that you initially were like, I'm going to eat these when I get home. And that was before you decided to take a 45 minute walk home. It's like, fuck it. I'm just going to eat them now. Yep. And you're eating pizza alone, standing over the Hudson river, uh, recite like having arguments with a booker 
who 10 years ago told you that you'd never do their stage and now you're fucking telling them off only they're not there you're right. talking to no one <laughs> so anybody driving by or riding by on a bike sees you hammered stuffing pizza into your face and shouting at no one uh and then you wake up at 3 p.m and go oh fuck do i do i have do i have time to work on this new bit before my set in six hours i know that sounds crazy but i'm not gonna get out of bed just yet (laughs) and then i gotta go eat did i eat anything last night and then you fucking go out into your kitchen and there's an empty pizza box and you're like how many slices were in there you don't remember. Like, did I eat a whole fucking pizza? I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this is all shit that happens if you allow it to. Or you do your sets. You have one drink or no drinks. You say hi to people. And then you, you respectably get home at a decent hour and get some fucking sleep so you can stay alive. It's a hard – it's hard, man. Did you, uh, did you party with Bill Burr when you opened for him? I mean, you know, Burr, Burr isn't really a party animal. But, like, yeah, we went to um, – there's a he had his parents in town. I met Bill Burr's parents. It was very interesting. Oh They're very, God. very, very nice people. Um, they're also not. It's funny because he's from Boston. He was born and raised in Boston, mm-hmm. but his parents are from the Midwest. So it's like not what you'd expect. You know, they're like they're very soft-spoken, friendly people. And you think Bill Burr would be like, well, he grew up in this shit, but they they're not. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, but they were super fucking cool, and it's awesome that they came to watch him perform yeah. in New Orleans. Super cool. And did he and, um, just real quick? Did he just see you at a show and then was like, "Hey, do you, would you like to come open for me?" Like, was it just kind of nonchalant like that? Actually, he um, he was. I saw that he was doing shows in New Orleans. I was randomly just going to be in town that weekend, um, and I texted him. I was like, "Hey, if you don't have an opener that weekend, I'll, I'll be in town." Just throwing that out there. And he was like, actually, I do. He's got this comedian named Joe Bartnick, very funny dude who he tours with. He's like, Joe's going to be with me, but I tell you what, why don't you just come do a set on one of the shows? He was doing like three. Um, Awesome. At the Mahalia Jackson Theater, which is like, I think it's like a 2,300 seater. So just put that in your, hear that, Bill Barr. Oh yeah, it it was championship, it was fucking NCAA championship weekend. Right? But when LSU just... <laughs> beat uh, when LSU beat Clemson, whenever that was, January. It was that same fucking weekend. Bill Burr sold out three nights at a twenty three Bill Burr oh sold out almost eight thousand tickets. Just throw that out there. Just remember or wait, no, six sixty nine almost seven thousand tickets. So that's you know, Bill Burr's fucking great. Yes. But uh, an exa- and an example of someone who got funny first. So oh yeah, he I paid got, his- I got yeah, he forged yeah, the sword for a long time. So everything he's getting now yeah. is because of the hard work he put in throughout his because career. Because of how sharp that sword became after exactly. years of fucking sharpening it. Yeah, exactly. banging away with a hammer. But he, um, he's like, yeah, just come do a set. But afterwards, we went. If you ever go to New Orleans, uh, you actually want to see real New Orleans music. Uh, or it's like, the, you know, the idea of a jazz club. Those Those places don't really exist anymore. But there's a place... It's uptown. It's away from the French Quarter and everything. It's called Dos Efes, which is spelt D-O-S and then Jeffs, J-E-F-F-E-S, basically. Uh, I only say that because the amount of people who've been like, have you been to Dos Jeffs? I'm like, mm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Dos Efes. Anyway, 
it's a bar uptown. It's a little dingy cigar bar. Uh, but they, you, you know, you, it, it's cigars aren't. It's more of a bar than a cigar bar. They just have good cigars. But it's also like you'll see a little three-piece jazz band playing there. It's fucking beautiful. And he wanted to go there. So we went there um, and drank whiskey. And him and Joe, I, I fucking, I, I hate cigars. I've tried to get into them. It, it just it doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, him and Joe smoke cigars. I just hang out and drank whiskey with his parents. Um, and we watch his band. Yeah, you know, he's, he's an older guy, so he's not fucking ripping it up. But, like, you know, I, I've probably hung out and drank with Bill a few times. He doesn't drink heavily, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he'll have one or two tops. But I feel like, you know, every comedian comes to that crossroad where you're like, am I... I'll, I'll take sober breaks. I'll take, you know, I did I did 90 days in 2018 just to see if I could do it. And it was 90 days where I was doing a club every weekend. So I was on the road. And it's hard as fuck to not drink on the road. Because oh, yeah. you're, you're in a town where you don't know anybody. The, the local comics, when they come out, and that's the most flattering part. It's like, I, you know, yeah, audience members, I love them and I want them out there. But, you know, when local comics come out to watch and hang, that's, that's the most flattering part. That's the part that warms, warms your insides. I love and hearing the, that. Also, but a side effect of that can be like, oh, you might be staying out till 3 a.m. on a Tuesday or a Thursday, you know, because like, I, love, I love hanging out with the locals. I love hanging out with local comics. I love fucking mixing it up and talking shit and seeing where they hang. And then you also get to see, like, who who's what. I mean, Atlanta, I would not call Atlanta a small comedy scene. I think you guys are a pretty big-sized comedy scene. You've got a few clubs. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of comedians. You've got Gilbert Lawland. You know? <laughs> He's just floating around being Gilbert. Just um, yeah, man, legend. Yeah, yeah. You got, uh, but you guys got a great festival. You know, you got you. I would not call Atlanta a small comedy scene, but like, but I'm thinking of like small comedy scenes, like um, uh, fuck, like what? Well, okay, um, we're talking about Arkansas earlier. Someone had a question there from Arkansas, mm-hmm. uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas where University of Arkansas is like a year ago I did shows there in Fayetteville. It was amazing. I'd never been to Fayetteville before. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, amazing town. Um, great fucking show at this art gallery that they turned into like a showroom for the night. It was awesome. But then like I went out drinking with the locals, the local comics. And, you know, there's a dozen of them or so. And you just see who is who. <clears throat> like you see who the local clean comic is. And then... The, you know, the obvious, the sketch group, and then the local podcaster, and then the edgy guy, and then, like, the conspiracy-driven hotshot, and then, like, you know, the arrogant, sort of cocky comic. Yeah, who, the like, tropes in every scene. Yeah, yeah, and then the sort of nerdy, quiet comic who, you know, people are hesitant to put on the show, but who, in reality, is probably going to be the one that leaves and makes it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, like, it's right, right. like, it's, it's, it's just fucking funny how every you know everyone falls into the roles no matter who they are or where you are um but it's also awesome i love that part i love like uh at the end of february last weekend of february i was doing shows in steamboat springs colorado which is a which is a you know it's a town in the rockies 
about two and a half hours drive from Denver, right? Three hours drive from Denver. It's a, it's my, I, I, I snowboard. Um, it's my favorite town in the Rockies because unlike a lot of towns in the Rockies that are, that are, that have a ski resort, um, the town itself is separate from the ski resort. Does that make sense? Like, like if you go to like Vail, Colorado, when it, at the base of the mountain, that's where the town of Vail is. So it's kind of connected to the skiing part, right? Mm-hmm. So, but Steamboat has the, you know, the part at the base of the mountain, but then a uh, three minute drive, it has its own little downtown area, right? And it's fucking great. It's beautiful. It's small. It's chill, but everybody knows everybody and it's awesome. And I, there's a little theater there, a little 150 seater called the Chief Theater. It's awesome. But my partner and I, Caitlin, we were going do shows there and I got reached out to by the local scene uh, being like, hey man, uh, you know, we have a podcast. Would you want to come do it? And I was like, absolutely. I, I love doing podcasts. And, you know, I went and did their podcast and it was fun to talk about comedy. But then we ended up hanging out with this like crew of local comics in Steamboat Springs, Colorado for the next couple of nights. And it was amazing. You know what I mean? Like they're just fun young scene that just kind of popped up and it, it's like like I miss those guys you know what I mean like it's one of those things where it's like man like it, it's kind of everywhere and it, there is a community aspect to it in these smaller worlds yeah but that's important when you're first starting out that's mm-hmm. important you and you, you know? hanging out with comics like and you connecting with them like that that can change the entire trajectory of their career like that that can honestly be just like the motivation they needed to keep going. If they're like, oh, wow, well, Sean Patton was willing to like sit down and talk or whatnot, you know. And I think that's why you were so demanded in, um, like, in high demand to do this Q&A is because I think people could even tell even from just listening to your first interview on here that like you genuinely care about comedy and comedians and like the camaraderie behind like this comedy world there is there is some sort of we're all kind of the same species in a sense where even in small towns you know you speak comedian with other comedians and that really translates through with you and your authentic affection for comedy and other comedians so thank you for being like a good role model in that sense as well well, you know, uh, I've never thought of myself that way before, and now, <laughs> tell you what, I don't even know if I can stand up with the weight of this ego. You just inflated. <laughs> I might just have to sit right here in this back bedroom of my apartment and just. <laughs> what? This is where I am now because no one can go in. We can't leave, and now I'm anchored down. Quarantine by with my ego. own it. <laughs> well, we can uh, we can end this on a final question from a comic that actually met you uh, out Do and it. about. So let me um, let me uh, pause right. this recording and start a new. So um, yeah, speaking of meeting other comedians, this final question actually comes from Ethan Kryman. Wait, Ethan Krymelmeyer. He um, he says, "Hey, Sean, met you at the North Carolina Comedy Festival in 2019." Mm-hmm. Any great festival. Any tips for people who are working on adding more physicality to their act? Ah, um, that is 
interesting question. I would say, uh, and I've said, I feel like I've said this before. Um, physical comedy has like a there is a negative stigma that does get attached to it, and to that I say fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't. It's it, it's 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 so goddamn annoying to me when you hear people be like, oh yeah, and then they did an act out and they talk about it like it's a bad thing. Uh, because sometimes, like, look at some of the greatest fucking comics on earth, there's act-outs involved. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at early Chappelle, you look at fucking George Carlin, you look at, uh, fucking Louie, you look at fucking Burr, you look at fucking Maria Bamford, you look at, like, the act-out is, act-outs are not a bad thing, it's just, I think, somewhere along the line, it became people who didn't want to write jokes just got overtly physical on stage instead. Um, it's a balance, man. It's being physical on stage is important, but it needs to be good. And I think I said this on the last podcast. So if it's redundant, I apologize, but like, uh, or maybe not, maybe I don't apologize because maybe it's something that needs to be said again. But, but like, an act out is also writing. Writing is heavily involved hmm. in an act out. You need to know what it's going to be. It, it can't just be getting on stage and flailing and not. I mean, fucking Bill Hicks acted out shit. You know, like, uh, I mean, dude, we talk about Burr. Watch. Uh, I'm sorry you feel that way. I think that's what the one's called. The one, he, the one in black and white. The one he did in Atlanta. Yeah, he did the Tabernacle. Yeah, right. That is a fan fucking tastic special, and it's one of the first times you see him get really physical at times, and the physicality is fucking Jedi level. I, and I keep saying that again. But it's, gee, it's gold. It's spot on. The whole bit about the guy who jumps out of the helicopter but mm -hmm. doesn't die. Like, there's a ton of physicality in that bit required to fight, to execute it properly, and it's amazing, but all of that physicality is written out, and it is, it is tactical, tactically done, and that's my would be my advice. If you're going to get physical on stage, think about it. Plan it out. Know what you're going to do. Understand why every single movement has to have a reason. And so do it like that. Script out, like... <laughs> raise raise my hand on this word or take a step or raise my yeah. voice at this moment like plan yeah. it out almost like beat by beat yeah you're right like it's still it's writing you're still writing a mm -hmm. physical bit is still written out you are just just because you, like writing is an i has a concept is more than just typing or pen to paper writing is planning out an idea is having an idea in my opinion what i think writing is is having an idea and then thinking out how to execute that idea now if you have to think on paper or on, or on a screen like i i do that's how you write if you can just kind of sit in a room or take a walk and think out how you're going to execute that idea and all in your head because you don't have ocd and you don't interrupt yourself every two seconds great that's how you write but writing, it, it takes all different forms. Writing is bigger than any notebook or any fucking laptop. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And a physical bit 
isn't right. You're still writing. That's still a written thing. Like you talk about, you know, you go back to the days of mimes. You don't think they fucking rehearse and act out and figure out how to open a sliding glass door or, you know what I mean? Or whatever the fuck they're doing. Like, and it's the same thing with like, you know, like you were just saying, like if you have a bit where you're going to, you know, I remember Kyle Kinane, right? Who I think is hands down one of the best fucking comedians out there, right? Yeah, he's a killer. I adore Kyle. There's an early Kinane bit where he talks about being pulled over on a bicycle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the that's the joke. He just he just acts out. And like you don't when you think Kyle Kinane, you don't think oh that, the physical fucking Tasmanian whirlwind that is Kyle Kinane. How does that beard even stay on his face? He moved around so much. No, Kyle's Kyle's a very fucking chillax guy on stage. His energy is all in his emotive. He's an emotive sort of force, right? But like he does this bit about being pulled over on on a bicycle. And it's an act. It, it's it's the physicality of him, like acting out, like being on a bike, riding a bicycle, and waving the car by, and then realizing it's a cop, and then looking back and waving it by again, and then finally having to stop. And the way he does it, where he stops and pulls physically pulls over, and kicks the kickstand down. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. But like that's a written out bit. Was him going okay? physically, how am I going to pull this off? Okay, because I could just say this. I could just verbally say, I could say all of it. He could have just done that. He could have just said on stage, you're riding the bike. Then you realize it's a car. So you wave it. It doesn't go by. You look back and realize it's a cop. You think maybe they're mistaken and I'm going to wave them by. No, it's not funny when you just say it. But when you act it out, it's fucking hilarious in this particular instance. So that is writing. Figuring out how you're going to physically convey information, that's a, it's a, that's still the same muscle. So that's that's my advice. If you want to get physical on stage, why are you getting physical? What are you trying to say? with the, It's the same exact thing as verbal. Treat it the exact same way mm. with the same amount of fucking care and attention. Like, how, why, why do you want to get physical? Do you feel like you are funnier when you're physical do you feel like you execute ideas better when you're physical do you feel like you can convey what your what your idea your point of view physically um and then what exactly are you trying to say physically and then really figure that shit out don't just half-ass it because that's where it goes wrong that's where it gets bad when someone just half-ass physically like half-asses some physicality on stage then it's like okay like that's fucking lame and then no one likes that and then the performer doesn't enjoy it and they feel stupider and they never get physical again but if you really fucking think about it oh and commit I can't mm. stress that commit to it that's easier like, said than done though oh yeah man but it's also what makes a I remember the first time I ever saw Chris D'Elia he did he used to do this bit where he would, this was like a decade ago, he used to do this thing where, I don't remember the exact premise, but he would basically be like a, it was like a girlfriend where being like, seriously, seriously, and he would keep going with the seriously, 
until eventually he was standing on his head on stage. And it was just this sort of, you know, abstract, fucking absurdist bit. But he committed to that shit so hard Mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter who you are. You were fucking dying laughing because he committed to suddenly being on his standing on his head. Seriously, you know what I'm saying? Like 100%. But how did you how did you start to get into it? Because even like 10 years in. Like me personally, I want to get more physical on stage and I've been doing it 10 years and it seems like an incremental to where it's like, okay, I do um, a little bit of an act out here and then it kind of over time, and maybe I raise my voice and wave my hand and then that kind of evolves into maybe me jumping around on stage. It just kind of, as written material evolves and grows and gets stronger, is that the same with your act outs? It kind of starts maybe a little small and timid and then you get more and more confident and you start to deliver it bigger and bigger type deal dude i mean truthfully uh the act out the physical part was never hard for me the physical part what was hard for me was trusting my actual words right when i first started doing comedy i was full-on fucking physical because that was yeah it was easy for me to not you know that that was just how i could communicate physically as a kid Mm -hmm. like you know, like I, I, I would talk and gesture loudly and move around a lot and act shit out. That was just how I communicated all my life, still to this day. Right now, I am alone in a room gesturing like I'm on fucking CNN. I'm all, you know, I'm all over the goddamn place right now, and I'm alone. Um, but I had to go the. I had a different thing i i had to learn to rein it in a little bit uh. and just use my words more and trust that more and focus more on that to make that better i had to do that and then once i trusted that i allowed myself to get physical again but like you just gotta commit to it man just commit. It's, it's yeah I, I there's no other way to say it man you just gotta know that like i mean look that's that's comedy in general is uh if you know something is funny and that's a right there that's the hardest fucking part is knowing something is funny because that means you not only have to find you have to you have to trust yourself so fucking much to then be like hey i whom i trust because i am myself believe this idea is funny when you're there you're you should be. You have to be willing to do whatever the fuck it takes to make others believe that as well. Mm. And sometimes that happens after one or two tries. Sometimes it takes a decade, and I fucking mean that. I have bits that I'm doing now that I originally conceived of in 2000 and fucking 10. Wow. But not saying I've been doing them for a decade continuously. In fact. It, you know, honestly, a couple of them I hadn't done in like six years and then recently just kind of was like, wait a second, and took it off the shelf, dusted it off, and then reconfigured it and finally made it work because your sense of humor grows as you do, right? Mm-hmm. So so sometimes you'll come up with something and it's such a complex thing even to you that you don't know how to make it work just yet and you need to develop as a performer and then six, seven years later, you're like, oh, wait a second, this might work now. And it does because you have the confidence and the tool set now. Um, and there's also the bits you come up with, fucking walk into the club sometimes, and you go on stage, and it murders, and it works right away. It goes, it's all, it's the whole spectrum, you know? 
Um, but like, uh, once you are at that point where you know, like, nope, this is funny, and even if it bombs for a while, but you still believe in it, you know, know that those are the kind of bits that turn you into a physical comedian, if that makes sense. Because those are the kind of bits that suddenly you start being like, wait a second, wait a second. The problem here is that people aren't visualizing the fact that this sperm has a trident. So maybe if I add in a little physicality to it, hmm, and then you start doing it, and then it starts getting bigger and bigger laughs, and it's you start realizing the correlation between like, oh man, the more I commit to this, to being this this thing I've created, the more people get into it because it helps them see what I'm seeing. And then the next thing you know, you now do a bit where you are you act out a sperm with a battle trident, uh, you know, conquering the ovaries. Like I mean, like that's but that's a fact. Like that's what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. And then after you do that, you now trust yourself physically across the board. So it's like, you know, it's hard. Nothing, nothing in comedy happens overnight. Boom. Not absolutely not. Except not even sleep sometimes. <laughs> and that, you know. Yeah, it's all facts. Yeah. yeah, that really. All these questions people have asked today. I think just. None of it's overnight. Like any anything you're trying to achieve in comedy or trying to get next level or you want to do this or that, like nothing's overnight. And I think nope. I think the number one thing I'm taking away from this is just get funny first. Before you want to do anything, just focus on being funny first. I think that's so valuable, especially with comedy booming and everyone's seeing comedy specials and there anybody everybody wants to do comedy now and everybody wants to microwave their success i feel like get funny first that i feel like everyone that has like longevity in this game is because they were funny first that's the did foundation you, is that wait is that a, is that an original did you coin the phrase microwave the success i i think i've heard it somewhere before I I heard it like um, I don't know where I heard it. I've heard it before though. That's pretty great. Oh, it just <laughs> it was a Tremo. Tremo is a um, he's a big social media comedian. And when I interviewed I interviewed him a few years ago actually, and um, he that was the first time I heard microwave success. Yeah. That's pretty great. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I, I, that's a. Uh, that's that's one of those like fuck man. I wish I could have microwaved a better line. <laughs> but my, I, my my shit. But I, but I'll admit that dude. Like I, I also like sometimes like I think the way I write too. If I'm a chef, it's like I'm a chef that only makes souffles. Mm. Which you know which means like it's gonna take me it's gonna take me a minute. But trust me, you're gonna love it once it's ready. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and this, I mean, this, thank you, yeah, thanks for all you, you shared in this Q&A, man, seriously, like, you you did this super fast, too, though, I saw you and Shane on Instagram Live, and I was like, this, now's the chance to ask Sean, and I'm glad and so grateful that you were willing to share this, all this information, like, comedy is, the hot breath of verse is grateful for you, Sean, thanks for being a, 
Oh, Dude, whew, thank you. That was thank a master class. Me. Oh, my God. It is, it is my honor. Thank you for having me, bro. Is, um, is there, is before we get out of here, is, um, I know you mentioned before this interview, actually, that you had just worked with, um, Will Smith, and now you just opened for Bill Burr. I mean, is there anything being around those two? Because that's like the 1% of entertainment in terms of just people doing what they do at a very high level. Is, yeah. is there anything they said to you or that you learned from being around them that you could share with us as kind of a, a closing motivation leaving this Q&A? I mean, I learned with Will Smith, like, fame um, erases age because he's in his 90s and you couldn't tell. <laughs> uh, yeah, money uh, does that too, yeah. Yeah, also a very, very nice guy. Um, uh, I, we, I didn't get to talk that much to to will smith but like he, he was he, i mean he, he that guy I tell you what that guy's got zero skeletons in his closet because the way he talks and hangs out you're like okay this is a guy who's not trying to hide anything mm. um but uh i mean being around burr is just a reminder that like you fucking stay yourself and it's the hardest it sounds so easy it sounds so simple but it's one of the most difficult things to actually do in this business and that's something i take from burr it's just like that guy is so him now that he can he can say whatever the fuck he wants, and that's the best part. He doesn't just he doesn't take that for granted, you know. He 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 understands who he is and like appreciates what he's got, and like you know that's appreciate what you got because the mm -hmm. days of like. You know, this comedy's like music now. There's just so much of it that you know you're only you're, you're going to find your fan base, and your everyone's fan base is going to vary in size. And it's different now. It's not. I don't think there's you know the days of the comedic superstar done. If you ask me, now it's just we're all indie bands. Mm, you know, okay. And we're all you're all going to build. You know, some people are going to be able to sell out fucking theaters, and some people are going to be able to sell out small clubs and everything in between. But just appreciate what you have, stay yourself, and remember that uh, everything you're suffering through as, a, as an artist, everyone goes through. That's part of it. It's the fucking journey, you know? Mm -hmm. I know you hear that so much. You hear, like, enjoy the journey. It's not about the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey, but it really is true. Like, just look at this now, man. You know what I mean? Like, if you'd have told me a month ago that the world was going to go on hiatus and comedy was, was going to be the first one, the first thing to stop, I don't know what I would have done, but it just had to happen. And, you know, this experience has made me appreciate what I have more than anything. And, like, it sucks that it took a fucking pandemic to make me realize that. But, like, realize it now. Like, whatever the fuck you got, appreciate it, love it, and make it the best possible version of itself. And then, you know, when, trust me, life gets going again, life gets in motion again, the engine starts up again, we're, we're functional again, I'm not going to be, I'm not the only one who's going to say this, like, where everybody's got to be a little more appreciative of it, of life itself. Mm -hmm. And the challenge isn't going to be that, the challenge is going to be a year or two from now, still appreciating it. Uh, as a comedian... Appreciate the fact that you even fucking tried it. And if you become successful, appreciate that too. 
but stay yourself. That's the hard, like I said, the hardest part. Stay yourself. Man. Stay you. Believe in you. Bet on you. And rely solely on you. There it is, my breath of verse. <laughs> oh, did you have a tag? And, 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 you know? Tag it up. And act that shit out. You know what Act I mean? it out. Commit. Act believe. Yeah. And just know it takes time. Time time is, you know, uh, life is carbon-based. Comedy is time-based. And you gave us a lot of time today, Sean. We really appreciate it. That's Hot Breath nice of Earth. Nice wrap up there. Bro. Oh, you like nice. landing the plane, a little beach exit there. A little gradual. Nice one, dude. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. What a where where can they like keep up with you and support you? Anything you want to promote? Like let let them know. Um, right now the best thing you could do for me personally would be you know follow me on Instagram. I'm posting a lot of shit, a lot of videos on Instagram TV. Um, my album that dropped in December, uh, Scuttlebutt. Uh, I love it. Give it a listen. It's every it's on Helium Records, but you can get it Spotify, iTunes. Pandora, anywhere you can get albums. Apple. Um, sc- scuttlebutt is what it's called. Why uh, is that? What's Scuttlebutt? It's named after. You'll, you'll see. Okay. I, if I tell you, it just gives it all away. All right, I'll look go it get up. it. Yeah, look it up and you'll see. Um, but mm-hmm. listen to it as well. I love it. Uh, I did it last year, or late last year. I did it Helium in Philly. It's, um, I'm very happy with it. Uh, and then my, pod- my podcast is called Five Words on the all things comedy network. Uh, those are the best places to find me right now. And just, I'm going to be put, we're putting out as much as we can. So let's do it. All right. Hot breath of verse. This guy just shared like two hours <laughs> of, of his quarantine time to answer your questions and to spread the comedy gospel. So please reach out to him, support him, get his album, Tell him how much you appreciated all the time he spent with us today. And um, Sean Patton, you are the reason this show exists. The, the spirit you have for comedy is exactly why I started this show almost five years ago, is to really show the, the reality behind comedy. Everybody sees us on stage, but there's, like, there's, a, there's a story behind every person on stage. And thank you for sharing yours. Thank you for giving me a platform to share mine from from Brooklyn, New York, quarantine day, whatever. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Thank you much. No doubt, man. Be safe out there, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Stay healthy. Thanks, Sean. Later, bud. I tried to warn you, hot brethren and sisterin. He just, he, he shared all the gems in that one. I think my favorite was just... The reality he shared about moving to New York. We had Mia Jackson in the Skype sessions this past week. Her talking about her move to New York. She moved there maybe after 14 years in comedy. After opening for Amy Schumer. After being on Last Comic Standing. After being on Comedy Central. And she shared even just the grind she had to go through. Through New York. So I would be... Interested to hear what your favorite takeaway was. Maybe post it in the Facebook group where we do these Skype Q&As. And in that group as well, I mentioned in the intro, having some exciting news for you. I've been doing a daily Write 10 Club. Every single day at 10 a.m., I'm meeting up live on Facebook and doing a writing group. 
If that's something you're interested in, join us. It's free. Just jump in and start writing with us. But through that writing club, people have been asking me to do an online writing course. So I decided to do it, and I have officially launched it. So if you go into the show notes, click the link that says Join Joel's Writing Class. It'll take you directly to the page to then take your writing to the next level. So you know from this show and all the content I share, I love helping comedians. And this is my favorite project maybe I've put together because it really does come from the heart and it really does come from just my 10 years of experience to really help comics start that daily writing habit we all want to do. So if anything, just go check it out. I'd love to connect with you any way I can, answer any of your questions I can. And I'm worn out. That was a good episode. Sean gave us all the juice. Now we have to go digest it. So I'll see you over in the Hot Breath Facebook group. But keep grinding out there, kids. Thank you to my wife, of course. I thank her at the end of all these episodes. And thank you to you, Hot Brethren and Sistren. This show has grown so much. All the feedback from last week's episode, I did a Skype session with John Chappelle and I posted it on the uh, Hot Breath podcast audio and it's just gotten so much feedback. People find those writing sessions so helpful. So if you want to do a Skype session, hit me up. I do three a week. Uh, I only keep it to three because there's so many other things going on. So the week you're hearing this, those sessions are already booked, but reach out to me and we'll get one up in a further date. And just stay positive out there, kids, and I'll see you in the Hot Breath Facebook group. So that is it. Until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. <sighs> <sighs>